Take the ribbon from your hair Shake it loose and let it Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Film Yak podcast. I am John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. <laughs> and uh, today we're going to be uh, discussing JR's pick, Fat City, a John Huston movie from the 70s about boxing. Uh, so that'll be fun. And we'll also talk about other things we watched, as well as several new trailers that were posted to our blog at filmyakpodcast.com. Uh, how's everybody doing? Doing good. It's the, uh, you know, just had my first week of summer, which meant I basically locked myself in a closet and watched movies. That must be nice. Uh, <laughs> had my first week of summer also, and uh, watched a couple of movies. Didn't have the time to lock myself in a closet. Wish I had. Um, but yeah, you might have uh, noticed that we're, again, sans Jonathan this week. He, uh... I don't know. He says he's tired. Doesn't want to do it right now. So, who knows? Will he ever be back? I don't know. Yeah. He will? Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> we'll we see. So. Well, I hope so, too. We'll just have to see. I was going to discuss this at the end of the episode, but, I mean, it, next week is technically his pick, no? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, I, I skip him, I guess. I, I mean, he snoozed, yeah, so he loosed. He, he snoozed, so he loosed. <laughs> he can uh he snossed so he lost. Yeah. He can jump back in the rotation when he comes back. Sure. Yeah, maybe we can skip me and go to him after Kevin's pick if he comes back. That's not a bad idea. All right, well, without uh further adieu, is it without further adieu or without further ado or without further to do? I think it's ado, right? It's yeah, a, I think it's like a do, a d o, like yeah. much ado about nothing. Yeah, so. yeah. Because on uh, the only thing that confuses me about that, not to get off on a tangent here, but one of my favorite films of all time, Carlito's Way. Uh, Carlito, at the beginning, during his hearing, uh, tells the judge, he's like, without further to do. And I was like, is it without further to do? It's definitely not. Okay. I think that was probably, probably a little Pacinoism. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Probably just showing his, un- his uneducatedness. Um, okay. Well, without further ado... Uh, and then adieu would be goodbye, right? Right. So without further goodbye doesn't make sense. Without right. further ado, uh, some trailers to yes. talk about. Uh, Kevin posted, I think you posted all these, did you not? No, I posted Sisters Brothers. Yeah. Let's talk I about Mowgli, like though. Three. <laughs> Mowgli is the new uh, take on Jungle Book. The dark telling, the darkest telling, the according darkest to the tra- telling. trailer of Jungle Book from... Uh, Motion, Mr. Motion Capture. What's his name again? Andy Circus. Andy Circus. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mr. Motion Capture. <laughs> yeah. That's a good yeah. name. That's pretty much all what he's known for, yeah. I think. Uh, I'm I'm wondering about this one because I'm wondering if uh, in the book, like, so like the actual Jungle Book is a collection of short stories, and Mowgli appears in about eighty percent of them, but in like the very first one, like I think within you know first five or ten pages. Shere Khan gets fucking trampled by a herd of elephants. So I'm wondering if that's what's going to happen in this one. Maybe they'll go for the absolute accuracy of the book to adaption. Maybe. Uh, John, you post this? Uh, he posted this. You Did, posted didn't it. you post this? Or you, did I post this? 
You posted it. I posted okay. this. You went on a fucking rant about there, Andy Serkis. You were like, Fuck I, him, I forgot. I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I didn't like the trailer. I uh, I watched the trailer before I saw your post. It's mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. you know, sure. I do I do my own interneting sometimes. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and then I just I read what you said about it, and I was like, mm-hmm. well, now I feel weird because because oh, you think it looks good. No, <laughs> I don't think it looks good. <laughs> but I also just like didn't give a fuck. <laughs> Oh, I see. And, oh, uh, right, right. And now I feel bad for not giving a fuck because I feel like I should be angry. No, 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 no. It's a, it's it's uh, you're entitled to your own guttural reaction to it or lack thereof. Yeah. Uh, my my issue with the trailer and the film as a whole, I, I'm not a I'm not a fan of Mr. Circus. Uh, I think he's kind of a pretentious fop and an asshole. And some of the things he said in his career about interviews and about uh, about motion capture and the the lack of respect and this kind of shit. He just seems like a whiny little bitch to me. And this movie coming out and just saying this is a dark, the darkest telling of the classic. It's just like you don't need, you, you shouldn't have to tell us that something is dark. Like you should allow us to decide that if it's dark or not. Uh yeah, I mean, and and the idea of of making a dark, like a quote unquote dark version of a children's story is just so like tired and cliched. And uh, I just like this is why the Disney film was so popular because it wasn't dark. Like I feel like I feel like it's just a kind of like telling the story in a very classical way in a normal way. It's a children's story for children. There's nothing wrong with that. And uh, they've already done this once. Disney did this back in the '90s with the Jason Scott Lee movie. I don't know if you guys yeah, remember. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty. That was. I loved that. I loved I it. Me too. Me too. Six or seven. Yeah, I mean, last time I saw it was probably 20 years ago, but I remember loving it. But again, that was like that was darker than the cartoon for certain. You know, it's about an adult yeah, yeah. Mowgli and uh, you know more like a Tarzan kind of story. But yeah, still. You know. But I feel like they got the tone of that one correct, and when like. Yeah, it's a little darker, but it's still more of like an you know a fun action adventure kind of deal, you know. Like, yeah, there are people who die along the way, but it's not like you know they're not just like focusing in on a dead body and like the moral implications and right. that movie and all gave that kind of stuff. A lifelong fear of quicksand. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was the first movie I ever saw that had wet quicksand. Yeah. It was very bizarre. I was like, that's not quicksand like that i've seen before it's scary it was like black and like muddy oh yeah yeah it's terrifying scared the shit out of me yeah (laughs) yeah and uh but like i gotta feel like the uh the dark thing is more the advertising people to kind of be like you know because someone's gonna be like didn't the jungle book just come out like a year ago and they're gonna be like no 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 this is the dark one right they have to separate i understand that yeah so like um yeah, I mean, just from a just from a, uh, I don't know, from a like aesthetic point of view, I just don't. Yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm not interested in the story. I don't think it looks very good. I I hate Andy Circus. I hate motion capture. I, I <laughs> nothing about this appeals to <laughs> the me. The trailer itself doesn't actually look much darker than the version we just mm-hmm, got. Mm-hmm. I, you know, maybe no, it will be, but it's not as if it's, it's especially uh, dark cinematographically or anything. Right. Yeah, I guess the dark is just, you know, that shot of that zoom in shot of Mowgli where he's just looking down like 
looking like he's about to go berserk or, or something. They, ca- they show him in the cage and he's freaking out. It's like, ooh, he's a caged animal. <laughs> it's just yeah. so, it's so oh, lame. Oh, that's going to be rough. Let's move on. Uh, I mean, do you want to talk about... You posted the Hotel Artemis trailer. Uh, that's my favorite trailer that you guys posted. <laughs> okay, yeah, just- I, I, I looked at it because I was like, Okay, Sterling K. Brown and Jodie Foster, Hotel Artemis. And yeah, it's like, yeah. And then I see the rest of the trailer. I'm like, what the fuck is this? It looks it looks so bizarre. Like I have. It looks. I don't like even know what to think. It looks like it's taking place in the same universe as John Wick too. It, yeah, it does yeah. look connected. There's yeah, you know, yeah. there's a hotel for assassin. There's right, a yeah. hospital for assassins. Exactly. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Jodie Foster, I don't. There must have been a massive payday here or something, or she's <laughs> friends with the producer or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Cause this makes no sense as a career move for her, but uh, I guess she feels like she's just above it and can do whatever she wants. What was the last, like, legitimately big thing she was in? Like, The Brave One? Inside Man. No, that was before The Brave One. Okay. Was it? I think. The Brave One was, like, a big failure, though, no? I'm pretty sure it was. She was in that uh, Matt Damon movie. From that South African guy. That Matt Damon movie from that South African guy. Oh, yeah. Elysium. Oh, yeah. 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 Elysium. uh, Yeah. Neil. Blomkamp. 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 Yeah. Yeah, She was the uh, villain in that. Right, right. She was in The Simpsons (laughs) uh, and X-Files. What? Oh, yeah. This is like a long time ago, though. My bad. Oh, (laughs) That's television also. Let's see. Yeah. yeah, before this, Elysium would have been. And then she did Carnage and The Beaver. Oh, right, right. And, uh, yeah, before that, Brave One. And then right before that, Inside Man, Flight Plan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, yeah, she's uh, she's not a she's not a hard worker. She's pretty much, I think she's focused on directing at this point. Right. She did an episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. And that Money Monster movie, which I didn't see, but. Yeah. And I think she also, didn't she do an episode of Orange is the New Black? According to her Wikipedia page, she did two episodes of Orange is the New Black and an episode of House of Cards. Oh, okay. She's really stretching her legs in the uh, television, Netflix television world. Right. I will say, again, uh, I'm not, I don't assume that Artemis will be good, but I will probably be going to see it. Wow. I'm going to, I'll, I'll, I'll raise you or just counter that entirely. I will assume it's horrible and will never see it in my life. <laughs> uh, it looks it looks akin to that new Margot Robbie movie. I'm not sure if you guys have seen the trailer for that one with oh, yeah. Mike Myers is in it and like a in like a weird role with makeup on and stuff. He plays yeah, like a yeah. janitor or something. I've not heard of this. It, I forget what it's called, but it looks like absolute shit. It looks like this. It looks over stylized. Yeah, uh, thriller action kind of less actiony, I guess, but. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, not, I, not interested. Yeah, can't remember the name either, but it, it looked really just fucking weird. Brutal. Yeah. Um, how about uh, the Sisters Brothers? Now, this one is this is something I'm interested in. <laughs> I very much want to see the Sisters. It Brothers. looks pretty funny. Yeah, it looks good. It looks. I've just I've been burned so many times by Mr. Audiard. I don't have you now. I've never seen any of his stuff. I've seen almost all of them. D-Pan wasn't good? Won the Palm Door. I would say D-Pan was not good. Rustin Rustin Bone was boring. Read My Lips is 
painful. Let me ask you this: So, has uh, he ever delved into genre like this before? No, he hasn't. Could be, could be an interesting twist. Or the for English him. language. Oh, there you go. Oh. <coughs> there you go. No, <laughs> I don't know. He's not convinced. What about? I mean, but Joaquin, right? Yeah, jo- you know Joaquin and, and Jill, John. Jill and Juice. You know Riz. <laughs> Since we're just using first names. Yeah. Right. Jake and John and Joaquin and Riz. Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, excited. I'm really I'm more excited just on the fact that it seems like a pretty like standard western and we don't get a lot of those anymore. We get a, we we actually do get westerns more than we used to. I would yeah. say since something like Django came out there's been kind of a weird trickle of westerns, but this one looks slightly above average to me. Yeah. It's funny that, like, we got Django, which was very much a, you know, genre slash B picture slash exploitation. Mm-hmm. And then pretty much every other Western that was made after that is an quote unquote issue movie. Is that right? Such as? Um, Hostiles. Okay. Uh, the new one that's coming out with uh, Chastain. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I call that a Western. Well, you know. And by issues, do you mean, like, taking on racial stuff? Like Native American Indian relations, yeah. But I mean, I, I, when I think of the westerns that have come after uh, Django, I think more of like something like studio pictures, like the Magnificent Seven remake and shit like that. You know, which probably would not have gotten made yeah. had they, or wouldn't have been. I'm it, sure. It, it, I, I guarantee you, Django's <laughs> success had something to do with that movie getting greenlit. I mean, come on, like westerns yeah. were dead before Django, essentially. Yeah, I mean you're right, but uh, yeah, they kept trying to bring yeah. it back with like uh, yeah. that train movie, the train movie, Pretend to Yuma. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Pretend yeah, to Yuma. which is not not very good. Yeah, no. but see that I mean even that it was like ten or fifteen years ago now, wasn't it? I mean, it was like no, it was like what? an 08. Was that 08? It was it was a while Let's ago. Let's see, that'll make me feel old. Don't <laughs> don't, don't even look it up. I don't want to know. <laughs> okay, I won't tell you. Yeah, it's eleven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 2007 but uh yeah i mean uh, like they yeah, uh, yeah. i agree they make a western every now and then but it feels like they've made a lot more in the last five or six years since, yeah, yeah. since tarantino's dipped his toe into it right but that's neither here nor there i think sisters brothers looks fun mm. uh moving on to uh mary shelley yeah which this is one that you posted Kevin. yeah i did because like you love mary shelley mary shelley is a fucking genius uh that cannot be understated uh, but I'm think, but I don't know. I look at this trailer and I think they're trying to make a story about a strong, smart woman. Mm-hmm. But I think in the end, it's just going to come down to a man. Mm. Somehow or another, it's going to be either a reaction to Percy Shelley, her husband, or, you know, either in reaction to, or in spite of, or like... I feel like she's in this movie. It's not going to be because she's genuinely interested in science and literature and, you know, all of the things that she did really well. I feel like they're going to make it into some point about she had to show up a man. And then like, like in the end of the trailer, it's like, you know, like you think, you think Percy Shelley wrote this? No, I wrote this. And like, you know, she's going to have to fight and, Granted, she probably did have to fight to get her name on her stuff, but I feel like it's just going to feel 
you know, like a big all men are evil kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Did you get the sense that uh, at least part of this movie tells the same story as Gothic? Ken Russell's weird oh, yeah. ass it, movie it, about it has to. and Lord Byron and share it with Mary. Yeah, because that's that's what inspired uh, Gothic in the first place, and um, so you know it's part of part of their lives. Um, I don't know; it's probably not going to be as visceral as Gothic. No, and there's probably not going to be like Lord Byron's probably not going to be getting head in this one. Um, but you know, you don't think so? Probably. Not. probably <laughs> I mean, it, I, it, I could be wrong. Uh, but no, there's like an obvious point where like Gabriel Byrne is just lying on a couch and just looking off into space. And some girl is like, like literally got her head on his crotch. Hell yeah. And she's going back and forth. Go burn. It's my, uh, it's my new mission to make sure I mention Ken Russell at least once per podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I don't, I don't, this movie looks boring as fuck to me uh and uh yeah i'm with you about the whole i wish they could just make a movie about a female who did something great and was smart and wasn't there was no conflict regarding her gender like yeah. i don't understand why they can't just do it reminds me of like um or that idea reminds me of uh malanoche what gus van sant's first film and uh I remember watching it and being like, like the characters are gay. The main character is gay, but it's not like a, it's not really an issue in the movie. It's just, he is gay. It's just right. like a movie about a gay guy. It's not like he's struggling against society or something. And I was like, that's really cool and interesting, yeah. especially from, from the time period that it's from. And I think it'd be really like more, I feel like it'd be more empowering. I mean, I'm not, obviously I don't know what it's like from the female perspective, but I feel like if you're a female, wouldn't it be more empowering to just see a woman like succeed on on their merits and not have to like fight through some kind of like gender issue maybe like have another conflict that's not related to the fact that she has a vagina you know yeah could be interesting no 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 (laughs) (laughs) got nothing else um okay and finally uh yeah paul dano's directorial debut wildlife with uh carrie mulligan and uh jake gillenjuice again he's all over the place yep um, how do you, how do you how do you feel about this one? Looks a lot like uh, Revolutionary Road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was only a teaser, right? Like a kind of long teaser. I, I think yeah, so. There's yeah. a very Official little, teaser, yeah. very little dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of like uh, moving shots. That's a pretty music. Sure. Yeah. Like, this was designed to to move me. Did it? No. No. But yeah. That's that's the one thing I'm afraid of good. on this. Like, Paul Dano, I think, is a phenomenal actor, and I just don't want to see, like... I mean, granted, it's only his first movie, but I just don't want it to be another, like, you know, interesting, quirky actor's first movie where, you know, it's just a lot of, like, static shots and, like, sad piano music and, like... Can you give an example of another quirky actor's first movie that's static shots and sad piano music? Well, like not to t- put you on the spot, but I mean, um, well, you take something like um, Station Agent. Mm-hmm. Like when when I first heard about that, they were talking about like uh, Peter Dinklage was the lead, mm-hmm. which you know I'll grant you it's unique because sure. he's a dwarf, and you know you don't see a lot of roles for dwarves. 
But then when I watch the movie, it's like, okay, there's literally nothing special about this movie. It's just this kind of the same old indie movie stuff that you could see in, you know, a million other places. Peter Dinklage is a good actor. Bobby Cannavale is a great actor. Uh, Patricia Clarkson, not so much. She's the worst. But, uh, but yeah, and, but yeah. It's a very tired story, you know, like Peter Dinklage plays an introvert who's obviously thrust into having to deal with a lot of people on a daily basis, and he eventually comes out of his shell and can live a fuller life, and it's like, alright, seen that a thousand times. Sure. You know, it's like, there's gotta be more to it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Tom McCarthy... Did go on to make some okay movies. Spotlight. Like The Visitor and Spotlight. I don't love Spotlight, but people do. I didn't see The Visitor. (laughs) Actually, I've only seen Spotlight. Uh, How about The Cobbler? Did you see The Cobbler? I did not see The Cobbler. I heard really terrible uh, things about it. Win-Win wasn't great. I heard The Cobbler was terrible. Yeah. Uh, It's too bad. And I actually like The Station Agent at least more than you do. Right. (laughs) It is definitely like a... It is not interestingly directed. That's for sure. Well, uh, I think wildlife looks like it. Uh, it looks competent. Um, so maybe, maybe he's going to do. I'm an actor, so I'm going to try really hard. Maybe to make it like interestingly shot. Maybe and we're all going to be like, you probably didn't need to do this, Dano. Right. I just wonder about like Paul Dano's. Uh, what is he like, 35 or something? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's just isn't it strange to think like. There's nothing wrong with it. Like you can make a movie that's a period piece that's about a time that you're not that you weren't alive in. But it just seems uh like why like th- I'm not sure is this movie based on a book or something or I think it might be. That would make it slightly more forgivable because I just feel like like it's weird to like write a movie that's set in the 50s. I don't know like from like if I were to write a movie I probably wouldn't choose the 50s as my setting cuz I don't know anything about the I guess you can do research but it's like yeah it just feels like I mean and granted like the further we get away from things like there's no way you could you know nobody lived in these times at at some point but it just feels strange to me that he would make a movie that's set in the 50s I don't know why yeah, it's, maybe I'm totally off base here but it's based on a novel by Richard Ford well that makes more sense then he just yeah. likes the novel yeah and I think, like, it seems like a lot of directors, like, well, a lot of movies, it seems like they're made as period pieces so they don't have to deal with, like, phones and technology. Because, hmm. like, you take something, you take, like, a film noir from, like, the 30s, and it's like, you know, half the stuff that they need to know, they could probably just get on Google to find out. And so, unless you, like, unless it's written really well, that's kind of just an, an easy back door so you know they probably they probably want to you know do like more simple storytelling and you know be unencumbered by technology and stuff i could be wrong well uh that being said i think it's time to move on to what we watched oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, oh 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 are we sure that we oh, shit on enough movies we haven't seen <laughs> I actually mentioned. He got it. us. He got us. I, I, I get it. He got us. I stole, stole Kevin's idea. Stole Kevin's idea. <laughs> uh, 
Because I actually mentioned that on the uh, the thing under uh, Mary Shelley. It's like, <laughs> it's like, man, you guys like hate everything new that's coming out. And I'm like, kind of. But don't you also think that we're a little bit justified given the it's, latest rash of movies? And like, it's, it's more like you just don't trust anything new. I don't. That is true. I do yeah. not. I am curious to know like how many movies that you guys have talked about uh, in this trailer stage have you seen like when they come eventually out? Oh. just at some point that's a good question that know, is a great question i won't see most of these if if they're acclaimed i'll i'll get to them eventually but yeah i right. feel the same way i'll see sisters brothers because i think it looks good regardless of what anybody says about it but and i'll probably see like the papillon remake i think the trailer for, I, we didn't post a trailer for that one but i think the trailer looks all right for that oh, okay. uh have you seen it no not yet it looks it looks decent okay. um but, I mean, yeah, like something like Mary Shelley, I'll never see that. I'll never see Hotel Artemis. I'll definitely never see Mowgli or Destination Wedding or Bohemian Rhapsody. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll see the house that Jack built the second I can see it. Yeah, right. And the Black Klansman, I'll see that as soon as possible. But, I mean, yeah, for I guess for the most part, yeah, and uh, you know, it just depends. Yeah, and Death of Stalin is coming out in about two weeks, so I'll see that as soon as i can i posted the phantom thread trailer and the post trailer and i saw both of those so all right that's good yeah yeah all right well moving on uh let's talk about what we watched this week or the last two weeks since uh we took a little week off there anybody want to start or i'll uh i'll start all right i'll start with something shitty um do it did you guys see uh the new Fahrenheit 451? I did. Okay. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> Fahrenheit I d- 451. I did not the see new it. Uh, HBO film starring uh, Michael, B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan and Michael Shannon and directed by Raman Bakrani. And uh, the girl who's in it is somebody. She was in yeah, Sophia Atomic Butella. Blonde. Yeah. Yeah. She... The mummy. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I had already, I watched this two weeks ago. It's okay, and I have already forgotten about her. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, this was a it kind of employs like a Blade Runner design aesthetic. You've got like a they do like a very social media take on mm. on like this future uh, kind of dystopian world where books are banned and the firemen are police officers that enforce people are not reading, and they've added a technology component where people are passing, you know, basically USB drives of books, you know, in like underground circles. So they're not just burning books. They are burning computers that have books on them. Like literally burning them? Yeah. 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 They, okay. they, they gather all of the contraband that they find in people's homes, uh, in the homes of the eels, as they call them. I assume that means illegals. I don't know. Just eels. Okay. Is that from the book? Weird. I don't remember that. In the no, book. I really don't think so. Um, Heels. Yeah, they they burn all the shit. Sometimes it's books. Sometimes it's computers. Sometimes um, it's people. Sometimes it's people. Um, this, uh, like the three adjectives I wrote down for this movie. Not that I write down three adjectives for a movie. I just <laughs> right. made a note that this was a uh, the three reasons why. Like the just criteria? like ah. <laughs> this was just slow, dreary, and just. They made all like the most obvious choices with uh, the technology and the way they yeah. visualized everything. That it just, to me, was uh, boring. Like they, I didn't think they did a single interesting thing besides kind of expand uh, this 
kind of villain role, Michael B. Jordan's uh, commander, of you know, Michael Shannon. Yeah. He has like an interesting internal conflict where he like he secretly reads and secretly writes. That's not allowed. Um, they don't really do anything interesting with this no, character thing. It really goes nowhere. Yeah. And we don't really even get a good reason why Michael B. Jordan suddenly becomes curious about the things he's burning, except that they add on this like daddy issue shit. Yeah. That I was like, Oh, are you fucking kidding? Yeah. Um, it was that I thought that was just offensively stupid. Um, and then, you know, he just, I, I think he just thinks Sophia Boutella is hot, which is why he decides that he wants to get into books. He's right. Yeah. And she's, she is their informant. Like, her job is basically to, uh, like, she's trying to get out of her sentence by giving up names of people with books, and she's kind of working both sides. You get the sense that she's giving up people that have small stashes. There's, like, a mm. couple secret, like, big stashes that she's not going to tell people about until she accidentally does. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's mostly all I got. Robin Bakrani, who has done like some really tiny indie movies, mm. like really, uh, like, uh, Goodbye Solo and Chop Shop, um, Man Push Cart. Man Push Cart, yeah. Those are, are interesting and they're decent and, uh, there's nothing, nothing of his style is in this movie. He did a movie, uh, before this called 99 Homes. Did you see this? I didn't. And that was made in New Orleans. Yeah. I wanted with, uh, to see Laura it Dern. sort of, but, uh, well, Michael Shannon, Andrew Garfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was, I was curious to see it, but, uh, I just never got around to it. Never heard anything about it. So I, I heard that was interesting, but I didn't see it. Um, right. so yeah, I'm, uh, I don't know, how, what do you think of it, Kevin? It was pretty damn bad. And, like, the, the funniest thing is, like, I didn't mind. Like, I figured they were going to do, like, the social media stuff. But, like with most movies like this, they completely missed the point. Like, so in the book, um, Montag, Michael B. Jordan, he has a wife. And she just sits around the house watching TV all day. And, like, he's trying to get, like, a bonus so he can finally get, like, a fourth TV wall. So, at no point in this movie, like, they show a little bit of, like, the people's reactions when, like, they find a bad guy or something like that. But, like, it never shows how being so into, whether it's their phones or the internet or whatever is harmful or destructive to their individual lives. It focuses way too much on the dystopian government with uh what's his face Martin Donovan He's, yes yeah. yeah and like and, and apparently most and apparently this pretty much all takes place in Ohio it's it's all in Cleveland which yeah. i found hilarious well like they got like Cleveland Dayton and like uh you know Cincinnati i think Martin Donovan was like the president of of Ohio or something I yeah mean, it was it's weird like, it's 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 this weird world like Ohio is like like some kind of like police state on its own aside from the US. And uh yeah, so all that stuff was just really stupid, really insulting and you know, like yeah, like the movie just has so little merit. Like 
Michael B. Jordan, I think, did a good acting job. Michael Shannon, I think, did a good acting job. Um, but, yeah, I mean... No, there's yeah. so so little redeemable for this movie. And this is a uh, one thing I liked for, you know, the first time I saw it, like the first minute of the movie, I liked that uh, with all the social technology, social media stuff that like, you know, they have it like their feed going on like a mirror. So like you're never without it. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is like the book. But you see what people are writing. It's like a mix of short letters, like, and articles um like the a and and uh and emojis so like it, like inf- implying that the people can't really read real text or use real text they have to write in symbols with some letters is it emojis like we would recognize like mm-hmm. our emojis yeah mostly yeah and you know you see like some you frown, like angry faces happy faces and then like uh you know the more animated symbols like i guess at one point i think you saw a whale i don't remember why yeah um Hmm. but it's uh again it's another thing they just don't do anything with it's like it's cool to see it and then yeah yeah how does this compare to true foes adaptation uh poorly (laughs) i mean yeah i mean that that adaptation is decent that's a that's a decent movie i don't yeah this one not so much. No, hmm. I, this is a this is a two point two five. Ouch, Kevin, what'd you give it? I think I gave it two and a half, but like honestly, if if hell froze over and I ended up watching this one again, I'm sure it would go down. I thought you were gonna make like a like a right side of history comment, like <laughs> I don't want to die and have someone think I gave this like an average <laughs> right, grade. Right? Yeah. All right. Um. I don't know what we do now because you guys both talked about that. Let's go, Kevin. Sure. Okay, Kevin. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> stole the term. I mean, we shared. Yeah, we sh- whatever. We shared the term. Yeah. Uh, so I watched Gallipoli, the Peter Weir movie starring Mel Gibson and a bunch of other Australian dudes, and so like. From the little, like, I had seen of this movie in, like, like the, there was, like, those trailers where, like, MGM is showing, like, clips of all their great movies and stuff. Like, I thought this was supposed to be, like, some rollicking adventure film. But it's not. It's, like, it's very, it's very much a, I hate to, I hate to say it, a stereotypical World War One movie where, like, all these kids are full of hope and promise, and then they all die, and that's it. Awesome! Sounds, sounds a lot like World War One, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. And like, I mean, I don't know enough about World War One to say whether or not this is accurate or not. Like, I know for sure that it happened in France. You know, the French soldiers going over the top and being massacred, you know, relentlessly by the Germans. But yeah, I in this that in Wonder Woman, yeah, 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 and. uh but in this, this Australian group goes over the top and gets massacred by the Turks. And it's like, literally, like, as soon as they stand up, they're all dead. Like, every single one of them is dead. And, like, sir, you know, we can't do this, blah, 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 blah. You have to. You have to keep going. You have to take it. No matter what, you have to take it. And then next thing you know, everybody's dead. Um, 
So yeah, like the movie looked really good. I thought the actors in it were pretty decent. So I gave this one a three and a half. But like the ending came out of nowhere, and I really was not expecting it. Like, I mean, I've already told you what happens. So like they're all being ordered to go over and the one guy who's been Mel Gibson's friend the entire time, like Mel's going back there to try to stop him from, from going, his friend goes over, he gets shot and it's freeze frame credits. Oh wow. And it was like, like no hope at all. Like a little bleak. Yeah. And which I can understand, you know, world war one, there wasn't a lot of hope in that entire fucking mess. But, like, you know, yeah, that was harsh. So I have compared this movie to uh, Glory before. Have you, have you guys seen Glory? Mm-hmm. The Denzel movie? Yeah. Yeah. I really... The, I'm sorry, the Matthew Broderick movie. Get your shit I mean, together. It really, I mean, it Denzel really Denzel won Best Supporting I'm Actor. I'm sorry, the Ed Broderick movie. did not. <laughs> I, uh, I hate that movie. <laughs> um, and I hate it because it's, like, it's a story about this, like, mostly black... Uh, or all black, I don't remember, um, a group of soldiers that, like, make a sacrifice for their country. But it's really about how Matthew Broderick decides that oh, we're going to have pride and we're going to walk into this suicide mission. Like, he makes the decisions, and he just... He knows everyone's going to get slaughtered, and then all the soldiers know it, but they all are just like, we're doing this. And I just think it's, like, the dumbest fucking thing in the world, even if it's 100% real. If it's 100% true that everyone was so gung-ho about, like, this suicide mission, then fuck all those people that died. They are idiots. Um, I really I really hope it's not true. Yeah. And I apologize to those people. You're not idiots. They're, you're just, they're dead. They you're can't just hear you, You're just Civil War soldiers. <laughs> um, at least in this one, it's like, it is meant to be just dark, depressing. Yeah, yeah. It is supposed to, like, leave you with no hope for the state of warfare. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know the people that are gonna die don't want to die. See, I I I've never seen Gallipoli, and I I saw I've watched uh, the Mel Gibson kill count video on YouTube a lot of times though. Yeah. And uh, there's a scene in this movie apparently where he takes a chain gun and annihilates lots and lots of people with it. Is this not true? Because I've seen this I've seen this scene in the blood in the uh, in the kill count video. Does he not shoot people with a chain gun at some point in this movie? I don't remember that. No, let me just uh, let me let me j- bring it up real quick, and then you can tell me if it's yeah, from sure, this movie sure. or not. Because that's going to drive me nuts. Because it's actually stopped me from watching Gallipoli. Because I was like, that looks really lame. It, it reminded me of uh, Schwarzenegger at the end of Commando. Like it was like that. Like he's killing like lots and lots of people <laughs> with his chain gun. He's like running around with a chain gun, killing people. Um, no, that's got to be from another movie then. Well, yeah, let's and see. Because like. Yeah, because, like, Gibson, like, like he didn't want to go to war in the first place. He just kind of ended up there, and, you know, like like pretty much everybody else, he thought it was going to be a rollicking adventure. And then, um, but, yeah, like, most of what he does is run back and forth trying to relay Look, messages. This, this movie. Look at this. This is not from it? No. Okay, see, I, I assume this was Gallipoli. No, no. This I guess this is more like World War II. He's shooting, he's shooting Japanese people. Right. I don't know what, what movie is that, this is um... then. <laughs> Was that like Wind Talkers or something? Is that a Oh, is it Attack Force Z? It says it's Attack Force Z on the oh. in the comments. Uh, I've never heard of that. I'm sorry to have uh derailed the conversation oh. this way. Now I have to look <laughs> up Attack Force Z. It looks terrible. 
But um, well, I'll, I'll have to check out Gallipoli because I, <laughs> <laughs> I always didn't watch it because I was like, that looks silly. Like he's like chain gunning people to death. Yeah, yeah. Looks Peter really, uh, Peter Weir's a dude. He's a dude. Yeah, as in like. You, mean, you, should, you should watch his movies. No, I've, I've seen some I, of his movies. Know, Thank you, you. You guys have talked about <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You've talked uh, about some of his movies. No, yeah, right? I know. I, I, yeah, I just, uh, I mean, I'll be, be perfectly honest. I haven't seen a lot of them. And the ones I have seen, I don't know. I really like, I like Dead Poets Society a lot. Right. I don't know. Uh, but it, didn't you give like a four and a half to Hanging at Picnic Rock? <laughs> Hanging at Picnic Rock was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I did. I like that one a lot. Have you right. watched the new show at all? The uh, Amazon no. television series? Is, is that it's, out already? Yeah. yeah, it's out. Oh, okay. And they released all the episodes at once, which they normally do not do. Are you going to watch it? it? Yeah, I want to. I'll probably check it out, too. Okay. You know, I'll, I'll probably watch uh, my Criterion Blu-ray first so I can yeah. make sure that I uh, have something to bitch about. Sure. Of course. I watch the new one. Definitely, definitely. As you should. All right. Well, uh I watched Cassette, a documentary mixtape, which is um, a documentary about the history of the cassette tape, and um, it was all right. How long have they they been around? Cassettes? I think it was like in the late 50s or early 60s. They interview the guy who made them, or who was on the team, who came up with the concept, who's... This all happened over in... uh, Fuck Sweden or something. Ah, cassette inventor Lou Ottens. I can't remember. They're in, they're in something like N- Norway or Sweden or one of those countries in Scandinavia. You know, yeah, just and, say Scandinavia. Uh, yeah, they're in Scandinavia <laughs> and the uh, they worked for Philips and they made the cassette tape. And they, it's the, the the I'll say this: this documentary is great. Anytime they're interviewing Lou Ottens. Because he is like the like the least nostalgic human on earth. Like he doesn't give a <laughs> fuck about the history of the cassette tape. He'll he's happy to talk about it, but like they're like, do you do you like miss it ever? He's like, no. It's like you know, technology gets better, and then you just move on to the thing that's better. Like cassette tapes are trash, you know. Like, <laughs> and it's like it's he's very right. Werner it's Herzog like, of yeah, him. <laughs> it's like that's exactly. But then it's amazing because they kind of like the whole. I, I really feel like they were disappointed with this guy's interview because uh. the whole rest of the documentary is nothing but like Henry Rollins and uh, Thurston Moore and people like this, like talking about how great cassette tapes are and how I still listen to them. And like, so, so Otten's refused to like fit into the exactly, nostalgia exactly, piece that they wanted. Exactly. Right. And like Henry Rollins has like a literally like a room like this size. This just floor to ceiling shelves of cassette tapes. Yeah. We just, are in a massive room people. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's big for that. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, he's got yeah. thousands and thousands and thousands of tapes, and it's just so. It's. I mean, I get it from a nostalgic standpoint, but a lot of the people they interview are like, "I still listen to tapes. Tapes sound better. I love the hiss and all this kind of." It's just like, go fuck yourself. Like, <laughs> no, nobody listens to tapes because they sound good. Tapes sound like shit, and I mean that's the whole fucking point. I, I don't yeah. know. That's why. Well, that's one of the reasons why those early black metal bands use tapes, and it's why some black metal bands still use tapes, because mm-hmm. they, they do want to sound like shit. Sure. But that's a weird choice that most people should not want to make. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's fine if it's an aesthetic choice, and you made like some kind of like artistic statement, I need to be recorded on tape cassette. But the idea of like these people who go to you know uh, Urban Outfitters and buy a taylor swift album on cassette because they want to be hip it's does like, that fucking exist now oh yeah go to go to urban outfitters they have, no no <laughs> <laughs> they have all the new stuff on cassette it's ludicrous 
and they have old shit on cassette too like different like boys to men albums on cassette i don't they know who's buying have, these they used to have vinyl there do they not they do still that they anymore? still have vinyl okay, it's right. a lot less cassettes than vinyl right right but i mean yeah i this this movie's <laughs> not very good uh but like i said if you're if i mean if i guess if you're like a super interested in cassette tape you'd want to watch this and if you're just a sucker for like being pandered to nostalgia wise but the Lou Otten stuff is really interesting. If they could like cut everything and just have the Lou Otten's interviews, like I'd probably watch that again and again because he's really he's he's pretty interesting. Uh, did they, they give, give it a two and a half? Do they get into the whole like you know mixtape mm-hmm. kind of deal? Like how that became? Well, a- I mean, no, they don't talk about it like it's some kind of like. I mean, <laughs> people people in the documentary talk about making mixtapes and how right. like it's like a huge part of my youth. I used to make a mixtape for a girl and I'd give it to her and right. You have to get the songs just right, and you have to make sure your times are okay. And, all this, and it's just like, I don't this does nothing. for Like, you're not saying anything that I we, we didn't already know. It's clearly just like you want them to say something that the audience thinks, oh, I, I think that too. I agree with this guy. I love this movie. Like, it's <laughs> it's just a real, like, nonsense nothing of a movie. And there's uh, a lot of this kind of shit on Hulu where it's just retrospective uh, nostalgia fests like this and uh another movie that i actually have in my in my watch list right now but i'm i'm loath to watch it because of this one which is the um i can't remember what it's called it's, it's about tower records it's uh, uh tom hanks's son directed it i i, I just like i, I like i kind of want to watch it just, i want to watch it just to see old footage of tower records like the inside of tower records in the 90s but i just know it's just going to be so self-congratulatory and like Oh, remember when uh, record stores are so cool? Yeah. How great was it to go to Tower Records? Like, just yeah, fuck off, you know? <laughs> There's still a Tower Records in Tokyo. Is that right? And I was ah. there in March. Nice. Uh, eight floors, bar on top. It's a pretty cool place. Do you get anything? No. Because <laughs> the I, fuck? I don't. What was I going to get? I don't know. Yeah. A record? I mean, it, no, they don't. You don't listen to records. I don't have a record player anymore. Oh. But yeah, also anything it's else like, would be like re- region two or yeah, something, well, and just bringing three. bringing a, oh, right. a record home from Japan <clears throat> with only a backpack kind of sounded like something I didn't want to do. You should you should always bring a laptop bag when shopping for vinyl. I thought about buying don't a shirt. Shit in there. I wanted to I wanted to be there you a, go. an asshole hipster with a yeah. record shirt, but from my wife Japan said, with the Japan, Japanese yeah. logo and everything. Yeah. My wife said, "John, you don't want to be an asshole hipster." <laughs> she was wrong. Was like, you do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah. So two and a half. Uh, don't don't recommend it. All right. I watched a uh, newly uh, or about to be released by Criterion, Bull Durham. Mm. Ron Shelton's 1988 baseball comedy. Oh. Uh, I had I had avoided this for so long. Why? Sometimes I just get really mad when Criterion puts out a movie that I have no interest in because then I have to watch it. Um, and you feel like I'll watch it now, so I don't know, so I'm not forced to buy it on Criterion <laughs> later. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just you know, you know, since I want to just like have every list I ever start completed, and I'm almost done with criterion except for those stupid olympic movies uh, uh whenever they put out the movies they're gonna release soon i'm like yeah i gotta jump it's on a this. never it's never ending that list because yeah. as long as they're around they're gonna put out stuff you haven't I mean, seen once right? a month they put out yeah three to four movies yeah and i usually haven't seen two two or three of them so yeah so uh yeah finally uh How went to the it? library got bull, bull durham uh bull durham won me over uh-oh yeah i was 
pretty mad about that too. <laughs> uh, you know, Kevin Costner is brought into this minor league baseball team to mentor Tim Robinson's kind of a young, Tim uncontrollable uh, pitcher. As like a, he's like a, you know, million dollar arm, but can't get his head straight, kind of thing. And Kevin Costner is his catcher. He's gonna whip him into shape. And Susan Sarandon is just the the kind of wealthy lady who goes to all the baseball games. Is that, this uh, where they met? Robbins and Sarandon? I don't know. No clue. Didn't didn't dig that deep. <laughs> Should have. But uh yeah, Susan Sarandon chooses one person on the team to sleep with for the entirety of the season, every season. Nice. And uh she you know, she wants to choose Costner. Costner says no. I'm into romantic love, gets a whole weird uh speech about it in maybe Kevin Costner's worst moment in the movie. And, uh, you know, so she goes on sleeping with Tim Robbins and a love triangle kind of simmers. And in the background, there's baseball and all the baseball shit's pretty funny. Most of the love triangle stuff is okay. But the baseball stuff is, I mean, not, not like the playing of baseball, but when they're with the team and they're hanging out or they're playing, there's just generally funny shit happening. This is uh, way raunchier than I thought it would be. Uh, and uh, you know, kind of my only issue with it was the way it ended up for Susan Sarandon because she's like this really strong, kind of free love, like not attached to, uh, as she says it, ju- Judeo-Christian ideas of morality and ethics or behavior. And uh, at the end, she kind of throws that away to just be like, "I love you, Kevin Costner. Don't leave." And I was like, yeah. Now she, she's kind of like they had to like they had to rem- they were like, oh, it's a romantic comedy. We got to make it in like a romantic comedy at the end. Sure. Now, in the uh, according to the Wikipedia page, uh, Crash Davis, who's Kevin Costner's character, was modeled after Pike from the Wild Bunch. Weird. Do you see this in the movie at all? Is uh, no. It says he's quote a guy who loved something more than it loved him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, that's a pretty a loose, pretty loose modeling. Yeah, I agree. It's yeah. it's a weird thing to be on the page. Uh, he he loved baseball. Baseball didn't treat him very well. Hmm. Okay. Sure. Are you a big? Are you not? So you you just hate Ron Shelton, or what? What? what no, no. What's the disinterest in this movie coming from? I, Sports stuff. Just not. I don't know. Maybe like seeing the poster when I was seventeen. <laughs> it's fucking baseball. I do not like baseball. I was just like romantic comedy from the 80s go fuck yourself i don't know uh, but yeah it's good god he's directed good. hollywood homicide i didn't know that have you seen his other have you seen white men can't jump i've not and Cobb. nope tin cup yeah tin S- cup sorry yeah yeah, so, yeah. I, mean, I saw it when i was a kid mm-hmm. and i remember thinking mm-hmm. it was yeah um play it to the bone no nope. speaking of boxing films <laughs> not seen it of Fat City, um, mm-hmm. I saw. I've only seen Play It to the Bone out of all of these. Uh, you haven't seen Durham? Have you? Nope. No Bull Durham. Not no. Oh, we'll go. Go get I'll it. Wait from for the, the Criterion. I'm going to buy it on Blue for forty dollars. Well, that's <laughs> you know. Well, that's a choice. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Blaze with Paul Newman? No. He apparently did that one as well. A lot of, a lot of fucking sports movies. Yeah. All right. Uh, is Blaze good, a good sports job, movie? I don't, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what. Oh, it's about Earl Long. Oh, the latter years of Earl Long. So no. Okay, well, um, okay. Moving on. 
What'd you give this out of five? Uh, three and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah. So one you over, but not not a lot. I mean, three you, and a half is you good. You didn't love it. I didn't love it. Okay. That's good. Gotcha. I gotcha. What do you? How about yeah. Dark Blue? One more. Dark, me to- <laughs> dark Blue? Do you see this? No. Kurt Russell the, about the uh, riots in Compton or whatever. Stop. What is the fucking... Uh, the, L.A.? Yeah, the uh, 92. That sounds, oh yeah, sounds serious. It was a, It was like a... I think they tried to make it like an action movie, but there's not much action ah. in it. Scott Speedman is in it. It's brutal. It's not a good movie. <laughs> it just got released on Blu-ray, actually, through... Oh. Uh, Twilight Time? No, somebody like that. Olive? Though. Maybe Olive. No, maybe Arrow. Okay. I don't know. One of those. <laughs> Kevin? So I finally got around to watching Super Dark Time. Times? Times. Yes. Sorry. It's okay. Um, I'll let it go this time. <laughs> this times? This times. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that I really liked about this movie, but then there was a lot of stuff that really took me out of it. The First, first and foremost... So, when the kid gets stabbed, and it's gonna be a spoiler discussion, or yeah, it's okay. a he- heavy, heavy spoiler. You've you've seen this though, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so spoiler. So they uh, so they pull the sword out of the the bully oh. kid or the fat kid, the fat kid, okay, yeah. yeah. And so they pull the sword out, yeah. and he's like, you know, gaggling and gurgling. Yeah, he's gaggling you know, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Choking, yeah, choking on his own blood. Sure, but then somehow he's able to get up, like get onto his feet, run mm-hmm. away from everybody at like breakneck speed. Yeah, like that. Just like okay, is that weird? Uh, weird fat strength. You know, get the adrenaline. Going. <laughs> I mean, if somebody's trying to kill you, you'd probably run away, right? I don't think he physically would have been able to do that if you're losing all your blood from a major artery like definitely looked like he was dying sure yeah and especially like he got like real far real quick yeah it took a while for them to catch up to him because he was running real fucking fast and yeah when they finally get to him he's you know collapsed he's collapsed face down and leaves but like no like like your heart's pumping that's make you're gonna make your blood go out faster and like that just that just seems so such a weird choice. Okay. A little bit um, of a, kind of a nitpick, but okay. Yeah. Um and the acting in this is really really good. All the kids are really really good. Um I don't know, like it just it just didn't feel like the story itself to me didn't feel like it was put together well enough. It's like they were getting to like certain points but then like they didn't go far enough to explain things it was like it was a lot like um uh primer and upstream color like really really good stuff but it was like so like hard to grab onto at certain moments that like you just feel lost and not necessarily in a good way so that was why i gave it uh 3.75 because like i i wanted to give it a four but then like it just like Towards towards the end with uh, with Josh and everything, like him just going off the rails for like, I don't know, like it just didn't feel like they set that up well enough because like the entire time you're just getting Zach's perspective and his own personal paranoia and like, yeah, there just wasn't enough there unt- until like the very end when, you know, 
he's got the sword back and he's going after the girls and yeah just 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 i don't know it just wasn't good enough actually super agree with you on that uh just kind of turning him into a psychopath thing mm. that uh that was also the problem for me yeah i thought it might be a problem for me while i was watching it but by the end of it i decided not to let it be an issue and i uh, gave it a six out of five and i haven't looked back since <laughs> so so yeah. he hears you but he's not listening to you and no 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 no. i hear you i'm listening i'm disagreeing okay. the, movie, the movie rules uh right. <laughs> yeah but... unfortunately not available on blu-ray because the world no. is unfair i uh i saw it on uh amazon prime sure yeah which like i mean I would imagine, like, you saw it in the theater, right? Oh, God, no. No? I saw it on iTunes. Oh, okay. The, the didn't For some come, reason, didn't I could have... theaters. Okay. Not here, anyway. So it was good time that you saw... Oh, yeah, I saw it twice okay. in the theater. Okay, all right. Yeah. Saw it once with my wife, and then saw it the next the next day with uh, Jonathan. Okay. Rewatched it. Fantastic film. He gave that a six out of five. I couldn't go quite that high, but it's good. Um... I uh, I watched uh, Dumb, which is the history of uh, it's a documentary about the history of Big Brother magazine, which is a skateboarding magazine from the eighties and nineties, late eighties and nineties, and uh, it's uh, it's really good. It's a good, really really entertaining documentary, especially if you're kind of in line if you're sense of humor is in line with kind of like jackass and uh these kinds of things steve-o uh, this is the one that has all those guys in it right yeah okay oh yeah uh if you're interested in that it's definitely a very entertaining very funny and uh i i really dig how uh i never i don't know anything about big brother, Mag- big brother magazine before i watched this but apparently they did a lot of like pretty controversial shit in it Ah. And, like, they had an article that was, uh, like, how to commit suicide. And it was, like, step-by-step, step, like, how to – different ways to commit suicide. <laughs> and um, I, that's pretty, like, hardcore, you know? It's, like, a uh, pretty risque thing to, to print. And they're just very unapologetic about it, even to this day, which I really – I have to respect. I, I You know? Uh, they said there was a satire on, like, other skateboard magazines that would do, like, how to – do an ollie or something and they try to explain in an article how to do that so they were just like well we'll do how to commit suicide and you know (laughs) it's it's pretty you know i I get it you know it's fine uh and then there was a lot of like apparently uh like they they were all into skateboarding but they really didn't care about making a skateboard magazine they really just wanted to make a magazine about stuff they're interested in so it was very loosely about skateboarding and there's a lot of drug talk and uh Apparently the creator of it was obsessed with having tits on all the pages. So they would have like naked women all over it. And, uh, but they would still advertise it to children or like, you know, young people who are into skateboarding. So they got into a lot of trouble for that. And then it goes through like Larry Flint bought the magazine in the nineties and published it for a long time. And, uh, and then it eventually, you know, it fizzles out and becomes jackass. So yeah, ah. it's a really, it's very, very good movie though. Very fun to watch. And uh, get, honestly, it's a, it's like the movie that keeps giving because it shows you that there's several uh, videos that Big Brother made that you can go watch, like that are uh, like skate tour documentaries that they made essentially, and they're all on YouTube and you can go watch those. So it's like 
Interesting. This hour and a half movie lent, you know, you get three or four more hours of content after that if you're interested. So I'm gonna I'm gonna check them out. Cool. So I gave it a four. That was a blast. And Jonathan, if you were here, would agree with me. He gave it a four as well. <laughs> it's unfortunate he's not. We miss you, Jonathan. Jr. Right, I watched uh, I watched my last available uh, Louis Bunuel feature, Nazarin, which is about a uh, a priest in rural Mexico who shelters a murder suspect and then gets in trouble and decides to give up a priesthood and just kind of wander as a uh, a peasant mm-hmm. and just kind of live life that way, kind of going on a pilgrimage. Um, you know. In, you know, this is Louis Bunuel. We got like a lot of religious imagery and stuff going on. He kind of becomes a Christ figure. This uh, Father Nazario, he has uh, that murder suspect who is eventually cleared, and her friend kind of follow him around like disciples. And it's uh, you know, it's kind of just about showing how shitty rural Mexico was in the fifties, and uh, kind of how. Christian values and Christian behavior don't uh, necessarily coexist. Like you could say you're Christian, but then you're just an asshole or you're a rich person who's fucking over poor people and you have all this faith, but you know, who are you if you don't have good deeds kind of thing? Mm. Um, the leads are great. The two women that follow Nazario and Francisco Rabal as Nazario and uh solid, solid been well, you know, this is uh, kind of right in the middle for him. He's it's like his last Mexican feature. You guys seen any of his Mexican movies? I've seen uh, El, El Brute. That's Mexican, right? Mm-hmm. That's the only one I think I've seen. I've been wanting to see Los Olvidados. It's a great one. For a long time and have never gotten able, have never been able to. I've looked for it a few times actually and without a whole lot of success. But, um, yeah, more familiar with his European stuff. I yeah, guess. and most people. Yeah, uh, I guess uh, these Mexican ones aren't very popular because, well, first they've never been put on DVD here, but also uh, they're not weird. Mm. You know, like the characters are often strange, and there is like a bit of there's like an absurdity streak through all of them, but they're not just like the crazy surreal things that he put out. Both, uh, you know in the early thirties and then again in the, in the late sixties and seventies. But I don't know if you guys get a chance check it out four out of five. Cool. Yeah. I'm uh, I saw your list here. Uh, ranked list. Yeah. And, uh, was shocked at how low Vera Deanna is. Yeah. Uh, me too. I need to, I want to watch that one again. Okay. There's, there's a few on that list that I haven't seen in a long time, including a uh, diary of a chambermaid. And Viridiana. Um, and even the Milky Way. I haven't seen that in a long time. I remember the last time I watched Vir- Virid- Virid- Viridiana, uh, like liking it a lot. Like the first time I saw it, I didn't, I wasn't blown away by it. But then the time after that, I was like, this is quite good, actually. And I had the opposite reaction to uh, Exterminating Angel, whereas the f- I still like, I still love the Exterminating Angel. But like the first time I saw it, it blew my mind. And then the second time I saw it, maybe because I like knew it better, I was kind of like less blown away by it. But for me, Simon of the Desert, number one. 
And that, what did I have that, like six, five or six? Five. That's okay, though. <laughs> That's, uh, so Exterminating Angel, my favorite. Yeah. For sure. But I do it love would probably Simon be number, number two for me. But, uh, yeah, but Simon of the Desert is just... I don't know. It's that's that's I've seen that like five or six times. It's always blown my mind. So <laughs> just the in the, the fact that at the end of it, where they go with it, like how they f- propel forward in time, yeah, it's just that's genius to me. I don't, <laughs> the first I time I saw it, I hated it. I hated that. Yeah. And then I watched it the next day, and I didn't hate it anymore. <laughs> the next day, yeah, <coughs> it's only like forty-five minutes long. Yeah, oh. and. Uh, I watched it with a friend and we disagreed very much on the ending of that movie. So mm. we just decided to watch it again the next day. It has to be done. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you got to do it. Right. It's uh, yeah, it's great though. Well, yeah, cool. All right. So I finally got around to watching the Texas chainsaw massacre. Mm. Had never seen it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked the, the opening the opening was like five out of five, but then when the movie actually gets going, it just goes downhill from there for me. I I think like when this you, is when one you of say the opening. What do you what do you mean? Like the opening credits oh, and like okay. with the uh you know the the, the, the mon- solar the, flares and everything. Yeah, and the and the montage and like the you know the dead bodies sure. with the uh, the radio report coming over, but then like when you get to the teenagers and. The hitchhiker, yeah, and, and the hitchhiker is like, <laughs> yeah, so. you, you have to have, you have to really be into it to be able to do something like that. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta just have something in you to be able to cut yourself like that. Poor Franklin, um, but yeah, and like, so yeah, I, I thought it was just kind of uninteresting from then on, and then like when what's her face like. She's screaming for literally like 45 minutes straight. And I'm like, yeah, fuck. Okay, we get it. Like, let's move on. Nothing interesting or gory or anything is happening right now except for her screaming. And like, and then it finally, and then it finally ends. And I'm like, that's it. Hmm. Ah. I, I, it's, I feel like the screaming. And I think I mentioned this when I talked about it last year, uh. Uh, that the screaming is really, uh, it works for me as like a conveying her terror. Like she's clear, like she seems genuinely scared. And that's, I feel like that's pretty rare in slasher films that you get someone where, like, I don't believe Jamie Lee Curtis is scared in Halloween. I don't uh. believe that the girls in Black Christmas are scared, but I believe whoever this actress is that she's right. terrified because and I maybe it is just because of uh Toby Hooper's and you know just focusing on her screaming so much I mean there's like close-ups of her mouth and stuff while she's screaming yeah, I mean, yeah. but it's very I find it very disturbing like that that entire sequence of at the dinner table of her screaming <laughs> and uh but yeah, I could see how it could be exhausting for some people yeah and like yeah because like for me that just like took like whatever like terror there might have been that just took me out of it because it's like okay yes you've been screaming for a long time you're being attacked by inbred hicks in the middle of nowhere but yeah yeah and this is another like a, a like the exorcist is another kind of example of this too like having seen so many clips of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Exorcist like 
when I finally got around to watching the movies, it's like, okay, like I've seen clips from them so much by now. So it's like, none of this stuff is really making that huge of an impact. Like I feel it would if I had never seen anything of it at all. Right. So yeah, clips can really fuck you up. Yeah. I don't know. don't know if that's the movie's fault though. No, it's not. Most certainly not. It's YouTube's fault. And VH1. (laughs) VH1. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Countdown shows. Yeah, because I, I I talked about this the last when uh when uh I watched The Exorcist last time. Like for me, like some of the scarier moments in Exorcist is when Regan is hooked up to the brain machines and they're doing the spinal tap on her. Sure. Like just putting yourself in the sit in you know because like yeah you know it's it's a mannequin and it's green goo and you know your mother sucks cocks in hell you know heard that a million times but you never like in the scary moments you never That's my ringtone yes yeah. <laughs> i love the idea that people might just be walking down the street yelling that at you <laughs> just, sounds weird all the time like you've never been to new orleans man come on uh but yeah like so like the scarier stuff for me was like you know putting yourself in like the shoes of like an eight-year-old being you know like having all of that stuff done to you and not understanding what's going on, or Ellen Burstyn having something's wrong with my kid and I don't know what, and nobody, yeah, yeah. nobody can help me. Exactly, yeah, yeah like that. For that that's was a, the most visceral. Uh, yeah, that's visceral a, that's stuff a, and that's an obvious. Uh, I think that's what makes The Exorcist uh, ele- elevates The Exorcist above other, you know, kind of trashy uh, whatever shits come after it because it's yeah. it's got that element to it. It does it's not just about a. a, a an exorcism or it's not just about Satan and have inhabiting some person and, you know, yeah, yeah. or some girl speaking creepily or, you know, yeah. some, uh, song from the fifties being played slowly in the background or you know, yeah. whatever, <laughs> what have you. Um, okay. Well, uh, I, uh, Wait, what, what'd you give it? Oh yeah. Great question. Uh, two and a half. Uh, I rewatched basic, uh, from 2000, Three, I think 2003 yeah uh, directed by John McTiernan his last uh, directing job that he got mm. before he went to jail and hasn't directed anything since um, have you guys seen basic I started to watch it but the DVD ended up skipping so badly <sighs> that I I couldn't watch the rest of it so I've been meaning to try to watch the rest of it but I mean uh, you can you can talk about it as much as you want yeah no, never. I don't know if I've heard of it. I uh, it's starring John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson and Connie Nielsen and Harry Connick Jr. and Tim Daly uh, and, uh, and Giovanni Ribisi. Giovanni Ribisi. There's a lot of people in it. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like a really simple thriller about um, um, a training exercise goes wrong. Uh, these uh, special forces guys go out to do this training exercise and end up killing each other and killing their commander and two of them make it back alive. And it's kind of about, they hire, they get, um, they bring John Travolta in. who's like, you know, the best interrogator we ever had. And they bring him out of retirement. Of course he's, you know, drinking Jack Daniels in the shower when you meet him. And, <laughs> but he's still, he's still in great shape, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, uh, he comes, uh, over to the base and he and Connie Nielsen interrogate the, uh, soldiers and try to find out what happens. And then it becomes a very, Rashomon inspired uh, flashbacks to different people doing different things based on who's talking about who's telling the story, uh, which is, you know, kind of cool. And 
the direction is probably better than the movie deserves. And uh, the action that's in it, which there's a, a little bit, uh, and the squib use and things like that are all just, you know, next to top tier. I mean, pretty pretty decent. Um, and the script, I'd say, is solid for the most part until the last third of the movie, maybe, where it kind of falls apart. Um, and it becomes a very, like, twisty... Shyamalan-esque kind of situation oh, which no. is yeah which is weird because I was watching and I was thinking to myself it's been 10 years since I've seen this movie easy maybe more right and I was thinking to myself this is probably a direct result like a script like this is probably a direct result of Shyamalan's success and then I was thinking about other scripts that came or other movies that came out around this time like Identity you remember this movie Identity with Ray Liotta and uh, Jake Busey Oh, yeah. It's the right, same kind right, of thing. Right. There's like this ridiculous, huge conceit that's a big twist at the end, you know? And I was like, that's, it makes sense. Like, these are all coming from, uh, you know, the success of Sixth Sense and Signs and other movies like this, you know? Right. Unbreakable. Yeah. I guess less, maybe less successful. But, uh, yeah, this movie is, it's not, you know, science fiction or anything. It doesn't have any kind of like supernatural twist, but it, there's definitely a big twist and it's, uh, pretty goofy and pretty hard to swallow (laughs) and um unfortunate because otherwise it would have just been a fine little you know thriller Mm. you know kind of forgettable but enjoyable nonetheless i can't say i'd never watch it again harry comic jr is fun i don't know why like this guy just watching him in like a hard r movie where he says to say motherfucker and stuff it's like it's so bizarre because then you watch him on like i was at a um, mechanic maybe six months ago you're watching his daytime his show. daytime show is on the TV, and he's such a, like, it's nothing but <laughs> women in the audience, first of all. Right. There's no man in the audience. And they're all and they're all middle-aged housewives, and they're just ooing and aahing over him, and he's just playing piano and shit, and, like, <laughs> and talking to him. It's it's so goofy. But yeah. then you watch him in something like this, and he's, you broke my motherfucking nose, bitch. <laughs> it's, kind of like, it's, just, it's wild. Yeah. Well, he was really great in Bug. Yeah, he's terrific yeah. in Bug, yeah. He's evil in that, too. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like, again, that's just weird to see him and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas if you watch, like, Independence Day, it's like, you know, that's not going to turn off his audience now. He's just a likable, uh, goofy uh, yeah. comedy, comic relief, really, in that movie. Yeah, so, yeah. But then there's also, I mean, he started, what, uh, Copycat had to have been one of the first things he did, right? In the late 80s. You see Copycat? No. It's terrible. But okay. he's he plays a serial killer in it, and he's pretty Whoa. he's pretty evil in that. So huh. he's barely in it, but he's okay. he's in it a little bit. And uh, But, yeah, I don't know. Basic's okay. I gave it a three. Okay. I, back when I was – when this movie came out on DVD in 04, whatever, I would have given it, like, a, a 10 out of 5 because <laughs> I was just, like, obsessed with it when I was in high school. But uh, yeah. it's not that good anymore. Have you seen all of McTiernan's stuff? No, I haven't seen. I still haven't seen Hunt for October. Oh, I still haven't seen Rollerball, and I have no interest in it. Uh, I have seen the original Rollerball, and it's not, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, I uh, haven't seen his first film, the name of which escapes me, but it's like some kind of horror thing. Uh, I don't know. I like McTiernan. I mean, it's just like I don't know if I I like McTiernan. I think he's a good director. I don't know if it's a situation where I like him. Or I just like I happen to like a lot of his movies that he's directed. Right, right. Like I think, I mean, you get Predator, Die Hard, and Die Hard with a Vengeance. Like, yeah, it, last pretty, action pretty, hero, yeah, 13th pretty, warrior, good track record. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah. But it's like I don't know that it's necessarily 
mostly him that makes that. I think he has good taste, I guess. Okay. You know, the kind of things that he chooses to do. And he's not, he's not flashy at all, but he's also not boring with his direction. Yeah, yeah. He does some interesting things, and he's not afraid to um, tell stories with characters that are less than savory. So, yeah. I don't know. He's all right. I wish okay. he'd make something else just to see how yeah, he, yeah. He, he might have lost it all. Who knows? Oh, yeah. I mean. All right. I watched uh, Dawson City, Frozen in Time, which is a uh, Bill Morrison documentary, mostly using uh, archival footage from some old old clips about this uh, town in Canada and using clips from the movies this documentary is actually about. It's about a stash of over 500 silent films that were frozen in a pool like there was like a layer of permafrost over just just like abandoned pool in Dawson City which is really close to Canada sorry really close to Alaska in Canada so close to the Arctic Circle and uh, in the 70s someone went up there and just found all the shit it's uh it's pretty cool um so this documentary is mostly silent with a, like a really pretty soundtrack running through it where it kind of just like through images goes through uh, the city's history with the the Yukon gold rush. I don't know if you guys know anything about that. Not really. Uh, <laughs> it's like the past three years I've given like this uh, seventh grade practice test for ela that always includes three passages about the yukon gold rush so uh, uh, we give the same one yeah, <laughs> just yeah. like, i've never read it i i, <laughs> <laughs> I give it to my students never read yeah. a word of it <laughs> it's you know those passages aren't very interesting but uh it sounds like the gold rush was because it didn't last very long but this uh the city kept going it kind of you know people stayed around like through the 20s um mm-hmm. and they had like their own little like silent film kind of community going on they had several theaters for not very many people and uh it takes you through it kind of like introduces you to some of the people that starred in the movies some of the people that made the movies uh the town's relationship with the native people around it um and what you know what the uh gold rush like what effect the gold rush had on the landscape it's you know a lot of different stuff and almost all of it just through images with really tiny subtitles appearing every once in a while like so tiny that sometimes i feel like he wanted me to miss them just and focus on the image but maybe someone was like no you gotta have you gotta have words here or else we don't hmm. know what we're looking at um and then you get a talking head close to the end where they talk about finding the stuff in the pool but um you know, as far as documentaries go I, I usually like mine to be a little outside of the box uh, this is kind of like a rhythmic feel with the music, just like watching the images with the music. It kind of like just like puts you in like a, a trance, and you know, it was really interesting and uh, enjoyable. It probably doesn't hold up very well as like if you took away the music, it's just like a if people were just talking about this on the screen, it probably wouldn't be very good. Mm. But uh, it works the way that the way they made it, and uh, yeah. 4.25 Bill Morrison is really interesting he works a lot with uh, archival footage found footage stuff and a lot of stuff that is destroyed Ouch. like he he takes he takes like really damaged prints and uh, puts them together and usually makes something visually interesting out of them cool cool so just a couple of minutes ago I finished rewatching Reservoir Dogs 
Haven't seen that movie in a long time. Uh, it's still pretty good. A lot of a lot of good acting. Looks looks decent. Um, I would have preferred the Blu-ray not be just five or six point one because I had to jack the volume up to like forty-five on my TV just to be able to like kind of hear it. But other than that, um, yeah, still still holds up pretty well. There, some of the flashbacks, I'm like, eh, that's not so interesting. Um, so, give it a four. I uh, saw that in the theater last time I saw it. Oh. Maybe last year sometime. And, uh, yeah, I thought it, thought it held up really well. Mm. Surprisingly well. Um, I don't know liked it a lot yeah i also want to i want to rewatch that because my stupid brain has <laughs> has not really given it the benefit of the doubt as i've grown older right so i i, I would like to check it out again yeah the thing i've noticed most this time was like how like so you've got the main guys but like chris Penn fucking rules in this movie and the guy who plays the cop he does a really great job too and uh, Yafit Kodo? Isn't that Yafit Kodo? No. It's not? Yafit Kodo is black. Yeah, the he black is. cop is black. That's not Yafit Wait, Kodo. The black cop is black? Yeah. <laughs> the part <laughs> Tim Roth's partner or whatever? No, no, I meant the the guy who gets his ear yacked off. Oh, oh, that's the guy from yeah, Mar- Marvin Nash. That's Yeah, uh, Marvin Nash. The guy from The Shield. He's in he's in like the first season of The Shield. He oh, plays okay. he plays like a rapist or something. Oh, okay. But yeah, he was really good. Uh, it's funny, like Samuel L. Jackson auditioned for the part of Tim Roth's partner and didn't get it. But like that guy is basically like, I guess that's kind of a Tarantino thing. Just it was like he has a. It's like you're things. trying to do a Samuel L. Jackson impersonation, and it's like maybe it's not obvious to you. But to me, as the viewer, it's like you're doing a Sam Jackson impersonation, and, you know, and viewer from the future, Randy yeah. Brooks, not Yafet. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I was like, yeah, I thought it might be. It looked like, like him. <laughs> it looked like him. He's got the bandana, and I don't know, whatever. Randy Brooks, some nobody, spinning Nash Bridges. This is, but yeah, uh, yeah. Chris Penn, rest in peace. He was fucking awesome. Yeah, he's good. Uh, I think I think all the acting is pretty solid in the movie. Yeah, with the exception maybe of like, I think Lawrence Quentin Tierney Tarantino. is. No, I think he's alright. I think Lawrence Tierney is fine in the movie. He's just doing his thing, but he's yeah. definitely like, he's definitely not. Clearly, he's not uh, acting too much. He's just kind of like saying lines as yeah, as yeah. himself, you know. Yeah, and like sometimes Tim Roth's accent starts to fall apart. Does it? Yeah, I never noticed that. It, it does a little bit, like um, when he's like when he's telling he's telling the story, and it's the part where like the camera's going around him yeah. while he's in yeah, yeah. while he's in the bathroom, mm-hmm. and like talk basically the talking anecdote. to the cops. Some yeah, funny shit that happened to you when you were on a job. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. And it's funny too, looking at this movie, and uh, I'm sure I'll see a lot of it in Pulp Fiction too. Like how much, like pretty much every action slash thriller movie kind of rips off Tarantino in one way or another. 
like you know just the really cool characters and the you know really quippy dialogue and like I don't know maybe maybe there were just a lot of people around at the time who were into that kind of thing mm. but I also think that they were just kind of like oh Tarantino did this and he got all these accolades so I should do this too I think it's less about I should do this too more about the studio saying we want that uh, we want it yeah, you want true. your characters to sound like that so write them like that right we should someone should pick a Quentin Tarantino movie as our deep dive one week so we can really get into whether or not Quentin Tarantino is good four rooms Fuck <laughs> that. so we would just watch his segment <laughs> no, you gotta watch the whole thing I'd rather not you have to watch the uh, Alexander Rockwell part and the Rodriguez and Whoever else, Allison Anders. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm out. I'm done. I got nothing else. I'm done too. Oh, then I, I can be done because you guys, I've got a western left and talk it out. All right, all right, fine. We'll do. Yeah, one more. All right, Canyon Passage. Cool. Maybe the best western of the '40s. Uh, one of my favorite directors, Jacques uh, Jacques Turner. Kind of a B movie magician from a. You know, early 40s through the late 50s. Um, you know, it's just like a simple, simple story about Dana Andrews. Dan, Dana, 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 I don't know. It's a, it's a man, but I don't know how to say his name. I think it's uh, Dana Andrews. Yeah, Dana Andrews. He said that prunes gave him the runes and passing them used lots of skill. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, so he, he plays a, a traitor. I'm just going to ignore <laughs> There's a trader in newly settled Oregon. You know, he's got a, a best friend with a gambling problem. He's got two women that potentially loves him. He's not sure if he likes either of them. Um, and this is just like a like a story that really builds its plot through a bunch of really simple character moments until they kind of explode into a really cool ending. And uh, it's just full of really good performances, and it shot really well, and uh, everything about it just everything about it just felt good. Last half hour is perfect. It's uh, a what's, yeah. it, what's it called? Canyon Passage. Did you log this? I did. Nineteen forty-six. Not seeing it. You're not you're not seeing it in my logs. Just or in, in my uh, stuff, my uh, activity. That I see all your stuff in. Well, it's easy to get lost in there. I yeah, know. it is. You, it is. Well, I just see it would be after Dawson City, right? <laughs> uh, no, it was actually before Dawson oh, City. Oh, well, there you go. Oh. It's okay. Uh, I just need to know the name so I can type it down so I can remember what to put in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's a... Uh, what would you give it out of, uh, much it. out of five? Four out of five. Four, nice. and, four and a half out of five, Ooh. excuse me. This, uh, I, I loved this one. And... Uh, Again, this guy, Jacques Turner, he's made some great westerns. He's made two of my favorite horror movies, two of my favorite film noir movies. This dude, this dude kicked ass in a time period that you guys don't usually watch. Ouch. Yeah. Hey, man, and I all, just saw and, Sunset Boulevard the other day. All of his movies, not all of his movies, most of his movies are between 80 and 95 minutes, which. That is a plus. That's, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. All right. Um, moving on to our deep dive then. Uh, JR's pick this week, Fat City, directed by John Houston from 1972. 
starring Stacey Keach and Jeff Bridges. And an Oscar-nominated uh, Susan Tyrell. Was she oscar for this? For this. Oh, my. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. But, uh... 70, 72? Yep. 72, yeah. So this, this movie follows follows what we'll call two boxers, two right. small-time, small-town boxers, but... It's a loose label nine, to give them. Yeah. yeah <laughs> neither of them are really boxers. One of them is just a washed-up guy who's... Former boxer. Maybe. ...drinking himself to death and thinks, maybe I should work out every once in a while. Uh, just kind of trying to make ends meet. And the other is a 18-year-old who has no direction in life whatsoever and when someone says hey, you should fight he's like no oh, okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, don't try this out yeah um yeah. and yeah just you know this whole movie is about um struggling it's uh yeah a lot of a lot of down moments yeah and uh i guess i'll you guys mind if i just explain why i picked it because i'm um, sure I, I don't know i have no general sense of how you guys feel about this movie but uh yeah, I picked it because first I love John Huston, and uh, I had seen his last couple of movies, Pritzi's Honor and The Dead in the eighties, and uh, I've you seen. You saw them in the eighties? No, okay. they were made. <laughs> <laughs> those were his last movies in the eighties. Yeah, I've seen a lot of his classics from uh, the forties. You know, his first movie was The Maltese Falcon. Yeah, just like that's a fucking insane first movie to have. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he made a lot of popular classics through the 60s. And then in the mid-60s, he did not transition well at all into the new Hollywood era. Had some flops. That fucking weird uh, Brando. Reflections Taylor. Yeah, that's a weird-ass movie. Brando and Robert Forster. It's yeah. really fucking weird. It is. The whole movie's, like, dripped in gold. It's strange. Yeah, yeah. It's very strange. It's, yeah. Um, and then this was, like, this was, like, his comeback movie. So I wanted to see John Huston's like first new Hollywood movie where it was, you know, successful. This this made a lot of money. I don't know how. I don't think yeah. you could pay anybody to go see this or, or you know, you couldn't pay the general public to go see this movie now. Yeah, um, I mean, I would have thought that like The Man Who Would Be King would be the thing that like got him over with the audience again. Well, and that that was a huge hit, but that was 3 years later. Right, right, right. So, yeah, once after this movie is like John, John Houston's back and he started kind of getting his uh, pick of projects again. Right. Right. Um, but yeah. So uh, thoughts. What'd you guys think? Uh, Susan Tyrell is really fucking annoying <laughs> through like the entire movie. Like uh, just bitching and like literally bitching and moaning the entire movie so, so you can't you you find it surprising that she was nominated for an oscar i find it very surprising See, i i i well, agree with you and don't find it surprising at all ah i don't find it surprising she was nominated i just think it's i mean any, anytime somebody's nominated for an oscar you th- like the, my my first reaction is oscar is prestigious somebody who's nominated for an oscar did a good job but then i remember what the Oscars are. And I'm like, Oh yeah, never mind. There's nothing matters. You know, Eminem has an Oscar. It's just like nothing. It's Mira Sorvino has an Oscar. Do you know right. what I mean? Like, it's like, it doesn't, it does not matter but, who's nominated or what happens. Uh, what did she get that for? Mighty Aphrodite. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. I haven't seen it. I don't know. She might be amazing. Who knows? She, I don't know. She's I, not. Uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> like, she, she's, she's not she's bad. Not. 
but she's not amazing in it. Right, right. right. But uh, you know, S- Susan Tyrell's part in this is to be the loud, annoying drunk, and uh, and she she turns that up to eleven in her few scenes that she's in. Um, so it she has the showiest part in the movie. Right. So it's not surprising to me that they gave, you know, kind of like the, like, here's your Oscar nomination, successful, critically acclaimed movie. You get the a Best Supporting Actress for your showiest part. Mm. Um, I, I, don't, I don't love Susan Tyrell, although I like, uh, I, don't, I wish someone else had maybe dialed that character down a little bit or even if she just dialed it yeah. back down to, to like human level. Um, but I, I did like Stacy Keach's interactions with her. Like I, I liked that, you know, he found this, he like took advantage of a weird vulnerable situation where like her, her man goes to jail. And I, I think the implication is he goes to jail for three months for being black. Uh, like, I don't think he did anything. Uh, and he's just like, I could be your man. I can take care of you. And he just repeats over and over again. You can count on me and kind of just like hypnotizes her into believing that. Yeah. And like the second time they meet, she's like, I love you. It's uh, it's very strange. And it's like two lost people just like looking desperately for something to hold on to. You know, I like that part. Right. I like Stacy Keach in it. Yeah. Quite a bit. Uh, it's just not what I thought it was going to be a boxing movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I did too. I yeah. really did. I thought going into it, I'm like, this is going to be like a pretty typical, even I, I'd read that it was bleak, but you know, people say things are bleak. People don't know what bleak means. You know, yeah. I, I was just like the, I mean the, the letterbox plot synopsis is it has the, like the phrase come to blows. Mm-hmm. Like two yeah. boxers come to blows when their careers go in different directions. Yeah, that sounds like that there's like happen. there's talking <laughs> conflict and punching conflict. Right. Yeah, not the case. I wouldn't even say that there's any conflict between those two fellows. No, at all. No, <laughs> like, that, like and that's what was the weirdest thing about it was to me is like when they meet at the gym in the beginning, they're like they they box for a little bit, they spar, and then he's like, ah, oh, I pulled a muscle, I'm out of shape, I should have warmed up more. You yeah. should box. And he's like, all right. Like you said, he's like, right, you know, and then he goes off in his direction. He starts boxing and, and Stacy Keach is just continues to be a loser. And I was like, uh, part of me is like, I really like that. I like that. There's no conflict between these guys that they're just buddies. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but the other, the other part of me kind of like sort of wanted it to go in some type of a conventional direction just so I could understand it because I was like, what is like, I don't know. What is the story about? Like, I was like, who is the main character here? It's because it, they just spend like an inordinate amount of time focusing on Jeff Bridges. And I forget Jeff, Stacey Keach is even in the movie. Yeah. And then it cuts back to Stacey Keach. And there's just like this huge scene in this bar where he's talking to what's her face, Susan Tyrell. And I, that scene is good. But it's again, it's like, well, what are we not focused on Jeff Bridges anymore? I don't understand. Like, who who is the focus? It yeah, just I mean, seems very we, unfocused. Yeah, yeah, it could we, have been much better structured. Yeah. We do get like that twenty minutes of Jeff Bridges boxing, and he gets knocked on his ass, yeah, pretty yeah. quickly. And then it, yeah, it I does like go that too. To I love the I love the scene 
like the black guy talking him up, being like, "You can't lose. If you think you can't lose, you you won't lose. You have to be confident." And they all lose. Everybody <laughs> loses. loses. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's amazing. And the uh, their trainer is like, "Oh no, no, next we'll get him next time." And uh, you know, this this will happen. That'll happen. And right. it's like, so you're just a shit trainer. Like we see why Stacy Keach is in the position he's in. It is, yeah, and which yeah. is weird too because it's like it flies in the face of conventional boxing films in which the yeah. trainer would have been kind of the old wise sage who would well, help you box better. He's and, not. Babe is the trainer. You're talking. Ruben is actually the, uh, he's the manager. So he's the one. Right, oh, right, I mean, right, right. He's like, he's, he's promoting them. Okay, he's getting the right. money. He's getting the payday. Right, right, right. right. So he, those are the, usually he's the still not ones. helping them. No. Right. Yeah. Is my point. It's, it's just like, I mean, even, even when you say that, when you say he's the manager, most, boxing films wouldn't focus a character on the manager the character would be the coach right you know right when when the manager's usually there it's usually because the manager is in some way corrupt or mm. stealing money and, and we do find out at the end that you know as like supportive and optimistic as ruben is he is also a dirtbag sure. yeah um, sure there's a reason stacy keach left him the first time and that actor uh nicholas colasanto is on cheers coach i was watching um I don't watch Cheers, but I was watching an episode. I've been staying up at weird hours because of the baby, and I was watching an episode of Cheers on TV just because I couldn't get to the remote to change it because I'm not uh, interested in Cheers at all, even though I love Frasier. And uh, I I just got bored, so I started reading about Cheers, like the IMDb trivia about Cheers, and I was reading about Nicholas Colasanto, and apparently he died during the show. And they, like... Like uh, three years in. Yeah, and they dedicated, like, an episode to him, and then there was also, like, he apparently... Uh, he was he wasn't he couldn't remember his lines towards the end, so he was writing his lines all over the set, and he wrote his lines on one of the steps, and like all the actors would like touch the step before a scene for like luck and everything. Ah, uh, so I don't know. It's interesting. It was just weird that I had just read about this guy so much, and then he's in this movie. But uh, I mean, he's. I would say acting wise, he's kind of like I enjoyed all of his scenes. I think he was very entertaining. Everything. All the scenes of him like talking to the coach and talking to the other boxers, and even when he was talking to Jeff Bridges and stuff, and just all their little weird like advices, and uh, like when they went to that diner and they were talking, all that stuff was great. But Colasanto is like clearly the, I think I say he's like the weak link acting wise in the film. Uh, yeah, and I, I wonder if if he and the rest of that like group of uh, you know the young boxers and Babe, if they're just if they were meant to just be like low key comedic relief. Cause that's, that's mostly what they end up being. Well, yeah. I got the feeling that they were, that a lot of the people, and you need to correct me if I'm wrong. I got the feeling that a lot of people in this were not actors. I would I don't know. probably go along with that. Cause like, I know like John Houston, like he did some boxing when he was, he did when he was a young, young guy. And like, you know, he like, did all this stuff like traveled the world like it was a very like you know well-rounded person then got into hollywood through script writing and stuff He's so like trained trained painter in paris when Colas- yeah. when colasanto goes guy? to the guy to try to arrange the fight he's like i want to i want to i want some easy you know warm-up fight. fight yeah tune-up yeah, fight yeah. that guy seemed like a non-actor to me yeah yeah, yeah. i was like this guy is, is probably the guy who makes these these fights you know <laughs> like yeah yeah and it and I, the the scenes like those say? with these non-actors and then also tully's not a draw tully's tully, tully, tully won't draw, draw. yeah, yeah. That, that, that's saying. good stuff yeah, yeah uh but like scenes like that and then also these like 
kind of where I think where the bleakness comes from for a lot of people. So like the scene after the fights where they all they all lost and they're at that Mexican restaurant, and they're all drinking beer. Yeah, like that shot. And I mean, I can't even explain why exactly, but like that shot, the scenes with the non-actors, people who seem like non-actors and the ending, especially, which we can talk more about, feels very like uh, Herzogian to me in a certain way, like especially like uh, like Strozek kind of it feels the same, feels similar to me somehow just because of the fact that they're not that we're not looking at like it doesn't seem like we're watching trained actors necessarily out with the, with the exception of. Jeff Bridges and Stacey Keach, and mm-hmm. I guess Susan Tyrell is trained. I don't know. And Candy Clark as well. Bridges, yeah. Bridges' girlfriend. Oh, right, right, right. But, I mean, she's not in those scenes. But I was, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. But it's like uh, they just seem like – not saying that John Huston is influenced by Herzog. I'm sure that that is not the and case. Not, but, at, not at this point. Right. <laughs> 72. Right. Yeah. But uh, – right, exactly. Yeah, he like, made like he three films or something. Even Dwarf started small. Yeah, exactly. Like, he was I like, I got to do it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's I've, got, I've got twelve Oscar nominations already. But I need life. to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this dude out of Munich, he's got it going maybe, on. Maybe, well, maybe Herzog is a little inspired by him then, or something. I don't know because it's yeah, just, it just—it feels I like. Believe that. Yeah, it's just. Uh, I don't know. Certain certain of those scenes really struck me like that, and I was thinking about Wise Blood, which is. Uh, I mean. <laughs> I'm not ashamed because I don't give a flying fuck, but it's the only other John Huston movie I've seen. Shame. You should be ashamed. Deal with it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, I you just shouldn't. You should just fix it. I'm not. A, yeah, I'm not. Man. I'm not opposed to seeing uh, the African Queen or the Maltese Falcon or any of these other ones that are I, supposed I'd to be good. I'd say Maltese and Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Yeah. And yeah, the are, man who would be king. Yeah. But there are good ones in the 70s and 80s also. Yeah. I mean, I know that now. Because I didn't, I didn't dislike Fat City, but if you would have told me that before I saw Fat City, I said, "Well, I've seen Wise Blood, and it's a pile of shit." <laughs> you liked Wise Blood? Yeah. No, I, I like this more. And Wise Blood is not, you know, Wise Blood's like a, a three and a half for me. I hate Wise Blood. Right. I hated it. Uh. I hated it. <laughs> and it felt. I don't even. I. I mean, I. I, I retain barely any of it, so I don't even want to talk about it. But it's like. I just remember just so despising it. I wanted to like it, and but it made me think of Wise Blood because Wise Blood is this kind of quirky, strange story that's dark, like a Herzog film might be. Mm-hmm. So it was like that also. So I don't know. Maybe I'm way off base with the Herzog comparison, um, but I, <laughs> I couldn't help but feeling that I would have rather had Warren Oates in this movie somewhere. Mm. I mean, I'm just a fan of Warren Oates. So. I mean, do you want him as? He could have been the coach, like Tully. Uh, because he, you know, he's supposed maybe, maybe to be like Tully, too like, old for what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, but he's older than Stacy Keach at this point, isn't he? Uh, Warren in seventy two. In seventy two, Warren Oates is what fifty. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, probably too old. Really? No, he's probably not that old, but he's no, in his forties. Yeah. Yeah, in seventy two, he would have been forty four. Okay. Okay, but I mean to go back to but your yeah, point like of, him as like the trainer or something. Yeah. To go back to to John's point that like, you know, what is the story supposed to be? Who's the main character? It, it really feels like uh, once you get to the end of it, it's it's yeah, not about boxing. It is mostly about being stuck in a small town with no options. Right. Like, it, and it's weird. Like Jeff Bridges and his girlfriend. Like they have this scene at the beginning where they're like stuck in the mud and they're trying to, they're trying to get their car out of the mud 
and it, it's probably like the most on the nose that this movie gets like yeah, yeah they are stuck in in the mud of this small town and can't get out but they get out of that mud and they're like hopeful talking about their future they've just they're no longer virgins um and then the next time we see this couple have a conversation jeff it, like it's immediate cut from jeff bridges getting knocked on his ass most likely concussed yeah can't like really see how many fingers the guy's holding up it cuts immediately to his girlfriend struggling to tell him in that same car that she's pregnant and just so like basically our we're 18 our lives are over yeah. like that's yeah. that's it it's like yeah thinking about just, it now stuck. it reminds me a lot of uh the last picture show like people are just stuck in this podunk town that's going down the drain and which you know uh, they're, they're trying not to go down the train with it Jeff Bridges Oscar nomination. That's right. That was uh, the year before. Year before was that seventy one or seventy? Doesn't matter. Probably but. seventy, I think. But yeah, that's a yeah, that's a that's an apt yeah. comparison. My uh, favorite part in the whole movie, and this is going to be kind of just a little tiny thing, but uh, is in the scene when uh, Stacy Keach uh, is kind of uh, putting the moves on Susan Tyrell, you know, and he headbutts the uh, jukebox and everything. <laughs> When he first approaches her, that seven up sign is flying, and he like he like dodges it and like hits it like it's a bot. <laughs> that, that that shit was so good. I was like, that's amazing. Yeah, I just want to believe so bad that that was Stacy Keach's <laughs> own kind of like I'm gonna I'm gonna do something with this. Right. <laughs> you know? I'm trying to think. Like I think the only other thing that I can remember seeing Stacy Keach in was American History X. Oh, he's been in a lot of shit, man. I know he has, but I, I can't remember having seen him in anything else. He has the Nebraska. perfect. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Oh, well. he has the perfect face for a uh, like a former boxer. Yeah, yeah. Like he's with got that, the hair lip and yeah. everything. Yeah, and he's just he, he just he just up. seems worn and tired and <laughs> yeah, fucked yeah. up. And I've never seen him. So I've never seen him in something from this era, like young. Like the first thing, obviously, the first thing I remember seeing him in was Titus on Fox. You have seen Titus, right? I, mm. I remember that show existing. It's a sitcom with uh, Christopher Titus. He played his father, uh, and he was very funny on it. But like, uh, that's the first thing I that was my first exposure to him. And the earliest thing I've seen him in, besides this, before this, was uh, the Long Riders, which I think he's like barely in anyway. So. Right. Uh, he narrates uh, the Duelists. Oh, okay. But he, but you know, just narration. Yeah, I was looking at his IMDb. He's in like a lot of weird. Like he's in a uh, biopic about Martin Luther, where he plays Martin Luther. Wow, a really strange choice. Yeah, <laughs> Stacy Keach. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I, he's. I mean, I, and he's. I think he's really good in American History X. Yeah, very uh, convincingly racist. <laughs> so, um, all right, let's make our way. Uh, I guess so. The, the climactic fight. So Stacy Keach, you know, he does end up finally getting back in the ring seemingly with very little training yeah um and he and by this point he's not fighting jeff bridges because at this point jeff bridges has like just had his kid or about to have his kid and uh he's like out of the game jeff bridges is not fighting at this point so sorry so he ends up fighting another way past his prime uh you know, I guess another guy looking for a tune-up fight named yeah. Lu- Lucero. A guy, Lucero. A guy who's pissing blood before yeah. the match, literally. I can get Lucero for you. I can get Lucero. I can call Mexico and see if I can get Lucero. <laughs> and uh, I can get Lucero. <laughs> so, so what did you guys think of this fight? 
I, I think all the boxing in the movie, it was fine. It wasn't like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't super into it. I was genuinely surprised. Like I can, I can understand it cause it looks like it is actually those two guys in there, you know, going toe to toe with each other. But like, I figured they might've like gotten, you know, stunt doubles for at least a couple of headshots. Cause like they're going, they're going for the body, like literally the entire time. Mm-hmm. Somehow Stacy Keach gets cut above the eye and I'm like, how did that happen? It's that same uh, cut from the razor blade, man. Yeah, they left yeah. him in Panama. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, but yeah, because like, I I just figure at some point, you know, body, 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 knockout. You know, have like, but I do also kind of like that it was a technical, not you know, you know, yeah, technical I mean, win right. for Stacey Cage. Right. You know, kind of along the lines of Rocky, where it's like, okay, yeah, you're you're pretty much washed up, but you can still go for you know, 15 rounds but or I, however long it was. I agree, but I also think that's as close as it gets in comparison to something like Rocky, where Rocky yeah, is yeah. like an action movie in the ring. When you, yeah. when you get in the ring, yeah, it's yeah. like, like you can see every punch connects. Like people are just getting reamed in the face over and over again. And like yeah, this, yeah. in this movie, at least it seems like it's closer to an actual boxing match. Yeah. I, I thought it was, it was like anti-flashy the way it was filmed, mm-hmm. which I think was meant to like accentuate how, how like depressing the whole fight was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause it's just like a, they're moving slow. It's sure. you know, neither of them should be there. Yeah. The first time Stacy Keach goes down, you actually see uh Ruben uh, Colasanto is like, stay down, stay down. Yeah. He keeps saying stay down over and over again, which I thought was great. Cause yeah, he fucking should stay down. He's about to die or yeah, something, yeah. but then he gets up and he punches the shit out of Lucero and, then that guy should stay down. See, I thought yeah. it was going to be showing Lucero before the fight peeing blood out, though. I was like, clearly, I guess they're showing that to show that he's also washed up, I guess. But I was like, clearly, that's a plot point. Like, he's going to hit him in the kidney or something, and it's going to knock him out, right? Like, that's what I yeah, was Yeah, yeah. I, I think they're real, and and maybe they're also saying, uh, like, Stacey Keach won, but it wasn't yeah, exactly. even a fair he fight. He beat up yeah, a guy who was, was pissing blood before the yeah. match. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It and is, I yeah. and also, I mean, are we sure we're sure that Jeff Bridges wasn't fighting? No, I, I think at this point he's not fighting. But at because the end, we learn that say, he, he goes back to fighting. At the yeah, I, what do you mean at the end in the diner? I mean, yeah, when they meet outside, you know, okay. we just find out Jeff Bridges has before come from that, a fight. Before that, though, um, right? We knew that. Okay, before that, though, at the after the fight, when they're all walking in the in the hallway and they're leaving the stadium. And uh, they're talking about how great Stacy Keach did, and they're excited for him. And he's kind of like, "I don't give a fuck, whatever," you know. And then uh, he says, he says, he like turns it all on Jeff Bridges at one point. Uh, Colasanto or Ruben does, and he says, like, he didn't the kid do great too, or something like that. And then he pays him money, like takes him in the other room and gives him money. Oh, you remember that? He like whips his wallet out and he like hands him a bunch yeah, of money. That happened, right, and I right. totally ignored it to, yeah. to and keep, I, cause to I know, keep my narrative. I know that he's, <laughs> but I know that he's in the audience during the Stacy Keach fight. So yeah, I'm thinking yeah. maybe yeah. he fought earlier and just got showered up and came back out or something. I don't know. They don't show him fighting. So but. I, so for, I'm definitely wrong, but yeah, that that is confusing. Yeah. Huh. But uh, yeah. So I don't know. So he was fighting. Yeah. But it doesn't make sense for an 18 year old who's. Gotta be mostly just be like, yeah, nineteen year old. <laughs> yeah. Mostly yeah. like a, a, sounds like he's just being like a whipping boy for people that are probably climbing. Sure, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's, There's no no reason for him to fight Stacy Keach. Um, 
so uh, can we get into the ending? Well, first, okay. I just want to mention that like celebration group, like when they're talking after the fight, uh, that moment was fine. But the moment when they walk out and then like, you know, five seconds pass, then you see Lucero walk out silently yeah. by himself right. and the lights shut off yeah. before he's even at the door. I was like, that's the saddest moment in this fucking sad movie. Yeah. I was, like, I was wondering damn. what was like, I, I, I agree. Damn. That is sad. It's just like going into this movie. I have this, I mean, I don't like, again, I haven't seen any of John Houston's films, but I have this preconceived notion of what his films are and what kind of a director he is. And I kind of associate him with Hollywood and I associate him with this kind of like tradition of storytelling that these kinds of things don't like, they don't seem to fit into for me. And it's not, it's not, you know, that's not his fault and that's not the movie's fault. And I don't hold it against the movie, but it was just like, I'm watching the movie. And when like that scene happens, I was wondering like why we were watching it. And when afterwards I understand, I'm like, oh, okay, well clearly that's to show, you know, the sadness of his defeat and the, the uh, bleakness of this guy's life as well. But I was like, but while it's happening, I was just like, this is a really strange choice to be following this this guy out by himself and the lights are turning off, you know? But, I mean, I get it afterwards. It makes a lot of sense. But then it's just not something I expected from John Huston. I think, you know, if you go back through his old movies, you will find a lot of his main characters lose. Like, in the Treasure of Sierra Madre, nobody wins. Mm-hmm. Uh I, the Maltese Falcon isn't necessarily like Sam Spade loses, but uh, you know, a lot of people around him die or get, you know, just get lost along the way. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't care who loves who. I won't play the sap for you. Same with like African queen, you know, it's like the happy ending that's feels tacked on. And yeah, that, cause what happens right before that is not happy. Like, yeah, those are traditional Hollywood movies, but they are, He's not like a, a happy ending kind of guy. He uh his characters always lose something. Okay. Yeah, and definitely as as his career goes on, things get bleaker and stranger and less way less Hollywood. Yeah. And you know, it was like when was, I when he's he's in uh Chinatown. It's like when I watched China when yeah, I watched Chinatown yeah. the first time, I remember thinking like it's really weird that this Hollywood director agreed to be this uh, to be this you know pedophile rapist uh, incest guy and in, villain in this movie, you know, and I, I guess because I just have this complete mis misinterpretation of who he is as a as an artist, I guess. <laughs> gotta watch, gotta watch those movies, dude. I need, I need, to, I need I gotta to. go do it. I need to. Uh, all right, so the end, the uh, after the fight, mm-hmm. um, Stacy Keach, who has said that he's gonna keep training keep fighting but then ruben gives him a hundred dollars for the fight it's not worth it fuck you fuck you yeah Hops out of a car gets into traffic and basically throws his life away again now i don't you know to say he's throwing it away again implies that maybe it was looking up and it probably wasn't <laughs> yeah but uh it's he like might he, have been able to fight once or twice more, though, or something before he got his ass kicked yeah. more. Yeah. That's uh, like he said at the end, he's like, you're going to fight in two or three more weeks. And he says, what about my cut? That's a little heel. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it might not, you know, I mean, he's getting cut on the same o- over the same eye over and over and over again. You can only heal from that so much. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Susan Tyrell's man is back. Yeah, I really so like that scene. Yeah. A lot. That was a really good scene. So he he's kicked out of the apartment. Ernie 
doesn't beat the shit out of him. I think he understands that uh, Susan Tyrell probably understood that that was going to happen in some way or another. It's probably the best thing for him, too, to get yeah, away from her. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he just gets back to drinking. Then the next time we see him, he's he notices uh, Jeff Bridges walking back to his car and just kind of... And Jeff Bridges very ignored. much trying to avoid yeah. him. <laughs> he does yeah. not want to yeah. talk to drunk Stacy Keach. No. <laughs> uh, but he manages to convince Jeff Bridges to get out of his car and have a drink with him. Coffee. Or co- you know, they settle on <laughs> coffee. They walk into the, I don't know what the fuck that place was. The saddest like, it's like warehouse a cafe. Car yeah, hall. yeah. They're, they're playing there. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was this this a thousand year old man serving coffee. <laughs> yeah, and like, uh, you know we have. Uh, you know, they drink a little bit, and then Jeff Bridges is just like, "Okay, I'm gonna go." And she says, "Stick around a while." You know, stick around, talk let's, a while. Let's talk. <laughs> and he says, okay. And then they complete talk. silence. Yeah. And But right before that, there's also a weird close, like super close up with Stacey Keach's eyes. And, and we they, just see him. And the freeze w- frames of the guys playing cards. Guys playing, yeah. Two different tables of uh, of guys playing cards. And um, I don't know what that's about. I, he's, you know, he's, he's people watching uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. But any, any thoughts? I, I know. Well, I mean, like I like the like when he says, uh, what do you think it's like to wake up and be that guy every day? And it's like y- you are that guy. <laughs> like you're, you're becoming yeah, that like guy you're, slowly. You're like, not you're not far off. It's this like, guy's probably better off than you are. Yeah, he has a, a job. Yeah, and, you know? I was say, you'd be that guy if you got a fucking job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, <coughs> but a good I job think, for him hasn't been invented yet. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't understand the. I like the just the aesthetic of him, the shots of him staring at those guys and everything, and it seems like very. It definitely leaves you on a downer. Like that whole that whole exchange at the end just is very very downtrodden. Yeah, but I don't. Yeah, I don't get the why. He's like looking. It looks like he's looking at something specific at the table, but I don't know what it is. Like at first second, I was like, like, is there somebody at this table that we know that we're supposed to be recognizing? Like, <laughs> I don't think so. And, and it, they're framed strangely yeah. so that like. You're, I was wondering, are we supposed to like, are they happy people? Were we focusing on their faces? Like how they're, it's like a small community of friends that are enjoying themselves, but we, we don't really have evidence of that, you yeah. know? And like, yeah, there's like one in the first frame, like the first table, there's just like a guy standing in the way, obscuring a lot of what's going on yeah. at that table is, it's very strange. It was a weird is, yeah. scene. Yeah. I guess it's like, he's probably looking at like, I forget. Were they playing? Were two people were playing against each other, or they were like two two people playing solitaire or something? No, it's like a bunch of people yeah, playing it, poker or I, something. I, huh? Oh, okay. I think it was poker. Was I, yeah. Each table had like six, six or seven six, guys. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You might be thinking of the other scene earlier where she was playing solitaire, and he was, he came home and helped her play solitaire. You remember that? Like he was when he oh, first yeah, got yeah. together with Susan Tyrell, and she was playing solitaire. Right. And he, like moved the cards around. And it's just things like that. Like I thought, like watching that scene with the solitaire, it's like a little moment. But I was like, I was like, oh, he's gonna move her cards and she's gonna get upset at him, and it's gonna be a conflict. But it wasn't. Like the way the conflict arises between them is really bizarre. Like she, they get conflicted because he wants to make her dinner and she refuses to eat. It's just yeah, what yeah. a weird thing to get upset about. And I think, I guess the implication there is just you know she's on like drunk logic, drunk brain. Like yeah, things yeah. are just pissing her off that shouldn't. Sure. Yeah. Because she's, she's yeah. out of her mind. 
She's yeah, like, she's a raging like alcoholic. I like when he uh, opens the can of peas and just pours them on the plate. Doesn't heat them up or anything. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. pours them on the plate. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I, just, I don't know if I mentioned this already. Uh, Susan Tarrell was only 26 when she filmed this. And I'm sure there was makeup involved, but that's a rough. <laughs> yeah, 26. I was going to say, like, like she, she so was older. like just a couple of notches down from uh, Susan's mom in uh, Seinfeld. And it, it feels <laughs> oh, like yeah. it feels like her character is supposed to Zabriskie, be older. Grace Zabriskie, yeah, yeah. Zabriskie. Her, her character has some, you know, life experience. She's oh, for sure. So yeah, because, like, didn't her old man go to jail for rape or, like, assault? No, he was, raped her. Yeah. Right, yeah. She's it's, like, he raped me, it was, but it's no big deal because I believe in free love. No another, shit. Yeah, she's like, yeah, it's okay because we love each other or some shit like that. It was really, that was a weird yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. All that. that then they, they ended up arguing about the definition of free love. Yeah. Based yeah. on that conversation. That was... And then he had Very to apologize. Strange. I'm sorry. I said I'm sorry. <laughs> See, she's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, like... And that you know, it's <laughs> it just it sucks so bad that Stacy Keach thought like my life sucks enough that I might find a moment of happiness with this person. Yeah, because that wasn't gonna happen. Like yeah, because like the entire time it's like I don't know what he sees in you. No, not at all. Nothing. No. As, as soon as we get like that that day drinking shot when they walk out of the bar like leaning on each other's arms, you just you know that nothing they said in that bar. Is gonna hold up for more than five fucking minutes. Yep, you know that as they're saying it. Yep. It's like she's like, "I love you," and you're like, "That's not true." <laughs> He's like, uh, "I can be reliable. You can count on me." And you just, you know, that's not true. Yeah, you just know it. Yeah, maybe maybe I, it's true for like the next ten minutes, maybe a day if he's really working well, at it. I, and I but think, beyond that, it's like, nah. I, I think he believes what he's saying. Yeah, but he sucks at working at it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, he's a procrastinator he's a talker he's not a doer yeah that very first scene when he was like man now i gotta go get matches and then he's like you know what i'm not even gonna stay here i'm just gonna get my bag because like probably rents due and you know man okay um i don't know such I, a downer of a movie <laughs> man <laughs> i think i've gone through all of my sad notes um let's start the happy ones let's yeah go. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I think I've gone through all of my notes. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, anything happy is just like uh, <laughs> like Babe and uh, Ruben were talking like, uh, like, how's your neck? Or like, can you breathe? But yeah, can you? Not, not when it's wet. Yeah. I found that really funny. However, that's also really depressing. So yeah. you know, it's, it's, tr- it's a trade-off for all the comedy here. <laughs> yeah. Just, we haven't really mentioned like the how they work as migrant workers, but uh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah those those super scenes. depressing as well because it's, yeah, it's like they're especially after you see Jeff Bridges boxing for a while, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, maybe he's making a little bit of a career as a boxer. And the next time you see him, he's like, I'm trying to get a job. <laughs> you know, yeah. picking these walnuts off the ground. <laughs> I like the scene though. I like that scene where Stacy Keach has to convince the guy to to put him on the bus, though. Yeah, so you yeah make, you're gonna yeah. make a huge mistake if you don't. You know, that was good stuff too. Everything. I mean, I I really dug Stacy Keach in it a lot. Yeah, he says uh, after that scene, there are, there are some women who love you for yourself, but that doesn't last long. Yeah, just another great fucking sad quote. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, let's. Uh, are right, you guys ready to do ratings? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's well, let's let's hear let's hear my disappointment through your ratings. <laughs> Not in the movie with you. Did my disappointment with you? Oh, all right, Kevin. Wow, I'm, I'm, I'm sounds kidding. like you're gonna go way high with it. It feels that way. Okay, 
Uh, I'm gonna go three. Okay. I I went three. I I was I, I okay. I'll be honest. I was at a three when we started talking. I, I went up to a three and a half. <laughs> <laughs> there are things about it. I was like, yeah, it's actually really good. So. I uh, I went four and a half. Oh, uh, you know, wow. and you know, slight demerits for Susan kind of Susan Tyrell <laughs> yeah. and and kind of losing its focus in the not losing its focus, sort of taking a while to get its focus. Right. Like yeah, in mean, the beginning, the way we spend so much time with Jeff Bridges. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Takes away from. I was going to really say that too. Teach. It's like at the beginning they meet in the gym, they spar for a second, and then they literally don't see each other for forty-five minutes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm okay with the fact that they don't see each other. I'm less okay with the fact that they don't balance that time between mm. the two characters very well. And there is a lot. There's a lot more bridges in that first half hour than than we get for the rest of the movie. Sure, right. So uh, that's you know that's uh, those are my those are my only problems. Solid, solid cool. stuff. Good, good pick. Yeah. Um, well, we got a we got a feedback from uh, Jordan. Yeah, uh, which I, he seems to think will inspire a lot of discussion. I doubt it will. Uh, <laughs> hey guys, I noticed Jr. rated The Revenant and Birdman really low on Letterboxd, whereas right. I know John L. Jonathan and Jonathan gave it pretty high scores to those films. Uh, I'm a fan of both and would love to hear y'all hash out a debate on air about those films and Inaritu in general. Um, Before we start, I would have loved to have this debate right after I saw both of these movies. Yeah. Since it's been a while, you're you're only going to get general stuff from me. Sure. That's fair. I can't even remember a lot of why I didn't like The Revenant. I haven't seen Birdman since the theater, so I saw I, the Revenant three or four I times. Liked, I liked the Revenant initially more than I like. Oh, fuck, I fucking hated Birdman. I hated, I hated most minutes. Can you of explain Birdman. why you hated Birdman so much? I I think I just I thought it was like this weird pretentious Hollywood. We're making a show shit. Um, I hated Emma Stone. I hated uh, Zach Galifianakis. I Keaton. I didn't hate Keaton, but I also Norton. No, I didn't. I you didn't couldn't hate have Norton. hated over Norton. I didn't hate Norton. He was great in this. Come on. <laughs> and and then I, I really, <laughs> I really hated where it ended up. As I was just with him flying just, out the window. Spoiler. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and the nose blowing off thing. Or? Like, that's just. Would you rather? Was he, exhausted. And would you rather was shot, he killed himself? No, because that's clearly like what they're trying to get at, right? Like he's he might kill himself, kind of thing. But then I definitely hated the way it was filmed. I I just like the I wide angle not, or the I mean the whole or, like yeah. the whole thing, like the way like the the moving, like try to do as much of this like one take stuff, long oh, take right, stuff right. as possible. It's just like this isn't serving the movie. We're like you're just masturbating all over your audience. That's all I thought hmm. we were doing, and. And I I felt that way about the Revenant also. And it, that they were masturbating on the audience. Yeah, we're just like the whole opening scene is just like him, like he wanted me to pay a ticket so that he could jizz all over me with that opening shot. Which is what again? That's the opening oh, it's, shot. it's like the, the meteor. Uh, no, the Revenant. Yeah, of, there's uh, a meteor in the Revenant. And in Birdman. Well, I'm talking about like that initial huge conflict with oh the, uh, the fight the with Indians. the Indians. Yeah. You didn't like that? No. I didn't. Uh, that also that movie also features my worst enemy. I wish I could remember his name. Donald Gleason. Thank you. The worst actor alive. Yeah, I f- <laughs> cannot stand him. He, he, I wouldn't say he's the worst ever. He's one of them. 
he's he's the worst actor with the highest profile. Like he's been in more good stuff, and he's terrible in it. Because in like this, The Revenant came out like with uh, he was in like a bunch of shit right there. Yeah, like oh, yeah, uh, yeah, he's in a bunch of shit all the time. Brooklyn and Ex Star Wars, Ex Machina. I was yeah. just like, get Dread. out of my life, Dread. dude. Yeah. Dread's probably the least. He's he's fine in Dread because he fits into the cartoony world of Dread. Yeah, yeah. And he's honestly, I don't mind him in um, Mother. Have you seen Mother? Yeah, Yeah. I I also don't mind him in that. And but I'm at a point now where I get mad if I see him no matter what. And Uh, so like Mother almost went off the rails for me because I was like, get Gleason off my screen, (laughs) even though he was fine. Yeah. Uh, So I've I've lost objectivity with Gleason. But right. uh, and it, so the Revenant also probably just didn't help. Uh, the Revenant for coming out right after no, absolutely, Birdman, absolutely. In which I, I I didn't see Birdman when it came out. I saw it several months later, so it's probably half a year in between Birdman and Revenant for me. Mm. And I'm like, fuck this guy, fuck this guy's style right now. Was it K- Kaminsky? Did he shoot it? Did he shoot the movies? Giannis Kaminsky. Giannis? Who's, who's no, the who's God the DP? No. Uh, fucking um. The Oscar winner. He yeah. won like four Oscars in a row. Oh, but what's his? Why can't I think of his? What name? is his name? Oh, you mean uh, Jordan's favorite DP? No, that that would be uh, Roger Deakins. Right, right, the right. God of direction. Right. No, 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 no. no God no. of cinema. Why can't I think? Fuck. I can't Lubezki. think of his guy's name. Emmanuel Lubezki. Thank you. And I did not look that up. I just thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> Emmanuel Lubezki. Yeah, he. Yeah, he's uh, he's in his guy. Like he does all of his stuff. Yeah. Now I want that marriage to break up. Ah. So uh, you guys feel free to tell me why I'm wrong, because I haven't seen I don't know Birdman. How he feels. And, yeah, so I don't. I haven't seen Birdman, and like, for me, The Revenant did not live up to the hype, because I was expecting this like you know blow away masterpiece of a film, and it was like. So That's do, you, decent. do you mean Oscar hype, trailer hype, or Jonathan John hype? Oscar I don't think and I knew Oscar him and trailer when hype. Came out. Yeah, we we hadn't like. I don't know. We might have said like hi to each other, Maybe. but we weren't like okay. friends at that at that mm-hmm. point. Um. Well, I, I'll just. I mean, uh, <laughs> Birdman is is going to be hard for me to defend. I I did give it a five out of five. I liked it a lot. Uh, and mostly, I think it was just from a standpoint of like I really dig any kind of film that gets into like. Um, this is going to sound really terribly lame and pretentious of me and hipstery of me maybe but i like movies where like i like like Va- like uh, vanya on 42nd street it reminded me of that like it reminded me of like people like actors talking acting like the scene when Edward norton talks to to michael keaton about the scene that they're doing and he's like you can lose this line because you already said it twice and over here and you know like that kind of shit really gets me going i really enjoy that i like people who are like good at their craft who are like talking it through and I don't know on screen. It just really, it's interesting to me. Uh, and the same thing goes for, like, I know that, you know, these are kind of more like documentaries, but, um, the, uh, the documentary about, um, Sam Shepard, uh, about his plays. What the fuck is it called? Uh, but it's another one about, it's about his, uh, the, he's putting on a play with Sean Penn and some other people. And, it's really good, and I really want to say what it's called. <laughs> I really do. Fucking shit. Not snow falling on cedars. <laughs> oh, 
I'm going to have to edit this out. I'm sorry. I have to know now. So, Kill me. But you didn't... <laughs> You didn't feel like uh, in Birdman, it's like, yeah, we're getting that stuff, but this like this is just everyone involved wants an Oscar so bad, and we're all trying so hard. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's I'm a, really, probably, I'm probably really a loaded fo- question. I'm really focused on finding what this fucking movie is called. I almost rewatched it when he died, and I didn't. This so-called disaster. Have you seen this? I have not. I Great documentary about Sam Shepard directing a play. Uh, that he wrote himself. Uh, he's a great playwright. If you haven't read his plays, check him out. Um, anyway, no, I don't feel like Birdman is. Tr- I didn't feel like it was Oscarbation, as what you're saying. I didn't feel like it was yeah. that personally. Which now, I guess, you in know. retrospect, uh, it's definitely flashy as fuck. The idea, the conceit to we're going to shoot this and make it look like it's one shot. I agree. I don't know what it does for it, except for that it's like, uh, you know, we're going to get really technical and we're going to be, we're, it's like, it's like, it reminds me of like, um, I watched an interview with Paul Thomas Anderson on Charlie Rose from like 1997, where he's talking about Boogie Nights right after he directed Boogie Nights. And he was saying like, they were talking, Charlie Rose asked him about the, the shot uh, coming into the, um, into the club at the beginning, you know, with the title card, Boogie Nights, the sign and the kind of turns and goes anyway. and he said uh and he says what what made you what made you do that you know what was the thought process behind that shot and he's like oh it's just you know like me like that's just me saying i'm, I'm directing now you know <laughs> and it's like he's like having having a good time like i'm gonna direct i've my first time directing and that's what it felt like to me to an extent the birdman shot except that obviously enter is not a first time director or yeah, a second time director it's like an is, accomplished yeah director. yes i agree <laughs> but i will say that uh birdman uh, and The Revenant, to me, are in Rich's best films. And the stuff that he did before, I mean, like stuff that he did in, in uh, specifically Amores Peros, I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, you know, it's pretty, it's light fare, comparatively speaking. It's like, it's, a, it's like post-Tarantino, like very obviously okay. inspired by this 90s crime wave that they, ha- that they had, you know? Yeah, and I, I'm not going to, defend that movie or 21 grams which the, i liked a I like lot when grams i was too. i haven't seen when it since I, was I was 18, 18. yeah me too yeah. Though i loved those movies oh, that movie's coming up then um, let me just i'm gonna write it down right now <laughs> <laughs> but and, and again i haven't seen them in so long and i can think of things right now in them that would annoy me just like sure the story structure of amores peros would probably just annoy the shit out of me now that's the um, main thing i think with that movie is, yeah yeah absolutely um and and also the structure of 21 grams and Babel, just like the way he is obscuring shit just to obscure it for a big moment at the end. Uh, that sounds annoying to me as I say them out loud. I feel like at the very least I could say that Birdman is at least him doing something slightly different. He's going in a different direction. And then the Revenant is like, seems like the culmination of all of his things. And the the Revenant, the Revenant is much easier for me to defend because it's so, it strikes me so personally because I am a sucker for frontier shit, for Western shit, for uh, mountain men with huge beards. But you hate bad CGI. <laughs> now, now, just hang on a minute now. <laughs> I don't like CGI at all, any kind of CGI. I don't even like it when Fincher uses CGI, and he uses it probably the most tastefully out of anybody. Yeah. But even when he uses it, I'm like... you 
could have done that naturally, and it was, it was no problem. I mean, the way he like creates cities with it, like in Zodiac. I mean, there's that, but there's also like in in uh, the social network, he creates like breath coming yeah, out of their mouths because okay. they're supposed to be cold outside. Who gives a fuck? Just shoot them in outside, or shoot go, go to a refrigeration unit and shoot them inside the fridge. Like like Tarantino did yeah, it. He refrigerated yeah. the whole set. I got you. I got you. <laughs> I'm just saying, but that that's not, that's not neither here nor there. I agree. The Revenant has some CG in it, and that if it were me shooting it, or if it were a perfect world, and you know, Coppola made this movie in 1977. You, you get Leo in the fucking ring with a bear. Yeah, and you just say Leo. I hope it works out. Well, no, you'd, you'd <laughs> shoot it differently. You'd shoot it with less CG, obviously. But yeah, a guy in a bear suit. At the same time, at the same time, though, the honestly, the bear scene is not even something that I'm thinking about when I think about the CG. The C, the bad CG for me are things that he's doing like in Birdman where he's connecting to shots. Edit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like so that whole scene that you're talking about that you hate at the beginning of Revenant is one long take or is but you can purport it to be one long take. Yeah. Yes. Obviously cuz obviously cuz they're jumping from the ground somebody on the ground with a steady cam to suddenly they're on a horse. Yeah. It's like obviously the cameraman's not jumping on the horse in the middle of the scene, which in the 70s Very talented cameraman. that's what they would have done though in the 70s, right? I mean they well, would have had a cameraman they... or at least on the horse and then jump off the horse maybe or something. Yeah. Which is, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. And it's like you, I watch, um, just just thinking off the top of my head, Dillinger, John Milius's film from 73, there's a great shot in there where uh, you first meet Melvin Purvis and the camera's on the side of a car looking into the car and he's sliding a cigar and everything. And then when the car stops, the camera gets off. It's just a guy hanging onto the side of the car. <laughs> like, genius. Like, what a great, what a great idea. But it's like, and that's the way you did things back then, but they would never do a shot like that now because it'd be like, well, when he gets off the car, you could tell because it's shaky. So they would CG it and they would smooth it out and they would have it, you know. Yeah. Some people would do it, but then they'd have to be, we'd have to commit to like a handheld aesthetic. Exactly. Exactly. Which I think is bullshit. I agree. And I think Enrito is guilty of that. He wants his whole movie to look consistent. Like we shot the whole thing on Steadicam. We shot the whole thing with the same lens, throughout the whole fucking movie, yeah. you know, this huge ass fucking lens. And I, I don't agree with that necessarily, but the the uh, other things, the kind of genre that he's working in, which I don't think is common at all, especially not now. Uh, and I honestly watched a lot of Mountain Men movies from like the 70s with like Richard Harris and shit, and they all suck cock compared to this. Uh, like, have you seen Jeremiah Johnson? I love Jeremiah Johnson. I, I have not seen that. Okay, now I Jeremiah Johnson is very good. It's not quite, like to but to me, it's not quite as good as this. And that's just because... It's just a, it's guilty of what it's time. It can't help it. It can't help it be less good than this because you can't make a movie with Robert Redford. That's this kind of insanely bleak, violent narrative back in the seven. Cause he's Robert Redford. You have to make this yeah. kind of like, you know, traditional, more traditional. I mean, it's still good. Very good. But, um, that's not really what I'm talking about. More like, um, there's actually one with Richard Harris. That's about this, or it's based on the same story. I can't remember what it's called. It's called like, something grizzly or something or the man who shot the grizzly. I don't know, but, uh, but it's terrible. And there's one, there's another one that has John Houston as the villain and it's horrible. And, uh, just like all those kinds of movies, they, I, I watched them all after this movie because I'm like, I want to see mountain men shit, but there's just no good mountain men movies. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I dig this. I, I do have problems with CG and stuff, but then again, it's like, at least they're making it. Like, I don't know how, like I can't pick and choose. There's no other, mountain man survival movie came, yeah. that came out that year I, if this is this is it then this is it and so, it's good enough <laughs> i was i was not aware of your uh 
affection for right man stuff i also really dig any kind of like spiritual native american vision shit that goes down in the movie like so any kind of like his dreams and his visions about his son like his remembering his his son and his remembering his wife and everything and then they have like i said they have the comet in the sky that shot which i don't even know what that means really but it's also they also have that shot at the beginning of birdman so i'm sure it's like all connects somehow in his universe or something (laughs) but uh i'll tell you my biggest problem with the revenant as i recall uh is Tom Hardy. I think he's uh hmm. over the top and goofy. And yep. it's some of and the dialogue between him and some of the other characters especially at the end that last little tacked on line when they have their fight and he says, "Did you get your revenge?" <laughs> it's just like I can't. That's a horrible line. Why would you There's no way anyone would say that after being stabbed half to death and then, you know, about to be put into the water to be scalped again it's just it makes no sense but it's terrible it's just a completely hollywood kind of ending Mm. but i don't mind that as far as them having a fight at the end i think that was cool i like the fight i like i like violence you know it's interesting but that's just me i mean i saw that movie we were very i was looking forward to that movie for a long time i downloaded uh a uh like a screener of it before it came out in theaters watched it at my house at like midnight I did the I did the same. Yeah. As uh I feel like I remember us logging it on Letterboxd within like two days of each other. Oh there you go. Um did you have a podcast at that point? Yeah, we had a different podcast. It was called The, the What, what We, we Watched. watched. Okay. I just I you couldn't were remember on that once. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't remember when that started or ended. I can't remember either, but it's <laughs> all the episodes are available on YouTube. Uh <laughs> yeah, but then I went to uh Jonathan's house like maybe two days later, brought the jump drive, watched it at his house. And then watched it when it came into theaters. Might have seen it twice in theaters, and then that's the last time I saw it. So, but I uh, really, really dug the Revenant. I don't know. Well, uh, Jordan, Jordan wins. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, but you know, uh, and you said it wouldn't get much. I really didn't think it would, but I mean, it, it's just a. I don't know. It's a hot topic. You mm-hmm. know, we can debate looking, the shit out of movies that are three years old. I'm, right? looking, <laughs> I'm looking forward to. to Whatever he chooses to do next. And has has he chosen anything to do? Looks like he did a short film last year called Carne e Arena. Yeah, but who cares? Uh, nobody. <laughs> nobody cares. It's seven minutes long. Um, ah. He doesn't look like he has anything coming up, so who knows? It's odd, you know? You just, like, just fire off a double whammy of, you know, Oscar wins, and then you just disappear for a few years? What, what's going on? He uh have you seen Beautiful? I that is uh that's like his one Spanish language one that I've not seen. Me too, same mm-hmm. thing. I have it on I've had it on Blu-ray for like 4 years and I've never watched it. It, <laughs> it didn't get the same level of acclaim that the other ones did mm. and it's long. It is like two and a half hours long, yeah. And that's that's a great I mean I I watch long movies now, but there was definitely a time when you know, I was going to the library picking out seven movies at a time and mm-hmm. trying to make sure they were all under a hundred minutes. Yeah, you know, I was like, for sure, I don't, I don't have time for all this. So, just real quick, just got a text from my wife. Uh, I know we didn't talk about this, but I had been watching the uh, reboot of Roseanne. Oh on ABC. yeah, I'm a I was, I'm a big fan of the original Not show. Yeah, and the uh, and uh, unfortunately, Roseanne uh, is a nut bar right right winger and uh, racist and. <laughs> Made a made a racist comment over Twitter, which got her show canceled. But yep. apparently, so my wife texts me. They're talking about a reboot now of the reboot, not 
using Roseanne, just focusing on Darlene. And Ja Goodman is interested in reprising his role as Dan. So, well, why not? I'm sure he was getting paid pretty well. Fuck yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'd be into it because I'll, I'll like yeah. watching the show. Roseanne was probably the least interesting part of the reboot for me. I I think Darlene. Uh, I think Sarah Gilbert was actually doing a great job, and uh, you know Dan is all John Goodman rules. So, I was just watching the uh, Joe Rogan had a podcast with uh, Kevin Smith. Uh, just like yesterday Mm -hmm. and they were talking about uh the roseanne thing and like apparently like from the time roseanne sent out the tweet to the cancellation of the show was about an hour and change yeah and uh but yeah even he said that like it was really sarah gilbert who was behind the whole thing it was and it was and yeah the show wasn't yeah, it was called Roseanne, but it wasn't really about it Roseanne. It felt more like they had to get Roseanne involved because she's her name is the name of the show. Yeah, yeah. And if they go on without Roseanne, it will have less viewers. I think so too. Yeah. But at this but I think it could survive. If they have, if they get John Goodman involved, it'll be I, a moderate hit at least. I think it I think it could be a moderate hit and uh the viewership I have, I haven't seen this show, but I've just read the viewership was going down pretty steadily week by week anyway Mm -hmm. Ah. but like it started so high it was just coming back to like like normal normal current tv hit status not getting you know numbers that it was getting like 18 million yeah that's like episode which is ridiculous yeah that's like crazy like uh, that's like a big football game number yeah yeah um yeah not something that tv shows get now it's a big deal that's why they renewed it instantly Mm -hmm. and it's just unfortunate that she felt the need to like I just don't understand like why you would say anything about it I just be be well, I, I'd be completely well, because I'd, we have a president that has I, I agree like, like who he, doesn't get in trouble he so. emboldens people but at, at the same time I'm just like I feel like I'm I'm Roseanne I've got this like amazingly successful second chance here like I'm off I'm going I'm going dark on all social media like I'm not talking to anybody I'm not giving interviews like she does, I don't think she realizes how nuts she actually is. I, I, I think. Well, supposedly, like the like, she's like sixty five, and like apparently the shooting schedule was like really hard on her. Mm. So she was taking Ambien to right. sleep. Yeah, I heard that. And yeah. so like she was probably. But it's like yeah, you should. Another reason why you shouldn't be on Twitter. Exactly. Sleep, sleep exactly. away from your phone <laughs> and yeah, other devices. Yeah. But like if you ha- if you're like taking Ambien and it's like still in your system, like a like uh, a friend of. Joe Rogan's like he's told the story on many of his podcasts like this dude like got up in the middle of the night went to the grocery store bought like a full like turkey dinner came home cooked the turkey dinner ate it went back to sleep then he like wakes up in the morning and finds all these dirty dishes in his sink and he like calls the cops because he thinks someone broke into his house That's scary. and they and they piece it together it's like no you did this but he was on Ambien, so he doesn't remember any of it. It's fucked. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop taking so much Ambien. <laughs> um, well, we appreciate uh, your feedback there, Jordan. Keep them coming. Uh, if if you guys who aren't Jordan want to write to us, our email is feedback at filmyakpodcast dot com. Be sure to visit our website and our blog, filmyakpodcast dot com, where we post trailers and other news items and opinion pieces etc etc next week on the show since jonathan is not here for the second week in a row and it's actually his pick this week we were going to just jump right over him and go right to kevin so kevin lucked out i hope kevin has thought of a movie for us to watch i have all right kevin lay it on us 
We are going to go hardcore for next week. <laughs> We're going to watch hardcore? Paul Schrader? George C. Scott film? No? Okay. No, no I, it would have been great. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Terry Gilliam. Oh, boy. Brazil. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which one? Oh, great question. Um, let's go with the final director's cut that uh, that okay. Criterion helped him put together. So that'll be on the Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah it's uh, yeah. I just got the Blu-ray, so I'm you know looking for an excuse to watch it. Cool. I still have the DVD. So uh, the big you guys box. Can tell me how much yeah. the huge thing. Well, tell I'm, me how much better the Blu-ray is. The the three DVD set. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the same thing, only it's on two di- two Blu-ray discs. I, I, I think it is as well. Yeah. I mean, it might be some it, new features. Right? Yeah, like some new new sure reviews and stuff. But, uh, well, so the transfer's different. Yeah. Well, hopefully. Uh, that's great. So we're going to watch Brazil for next week's episode. Uh, sure to be one of our most listened to episodes. Because <laughs> anytime we do like a you know, classic, quote unquote. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Lie, 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 lie,